You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? You are listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find out full of surprises. Not over yet. No, there is another. Chewie, we're home. Hey there, Star Wars fans. Happy 2017, and welcome to our first episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues of the New Year, uh, episode 85 for the year of Star Wars episode 8. Um, we've got a lot of Star Wars stuff to be excited about this year, obviously. Um, you know, still Rogue One uh, excitement going in full swing right now. Um, so we got a lot of stuff to talk about, uh, and as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How's it going, Tim? Hey, what's up, Kyle? Doing good, man. Two Star Wars movies down, and who knows how many more to go. <laughs> it's hard to believe we're two movies into this already, but here we are, like you said, in 2017, already starting to get hyped for Episode Eight. so <laughs> the journey for Episode Eight begins right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, but before we get to that, we're actually probably going to save a lot of the Episode Eight talk for our next episode, um, and we kind of want to, I don't know, talk about some stuff from the end of last year. Obviously, we... Uh, you know, you would think we wouldn't have much left to talk about in regards to Rogue One after our last episode where we, what was that, like three and a half hours or something we spent reviewing <laughs> so that movie. So close to four. Yep. Yeah, but obviously, I mean, I'm sure we'll have some new things to say now, uh, having seen it additional times and just having had some time to think on it. And um, we've got some, you know, articles and, and news things about it and stuff to talk about. Um, but obviously, you know, towards the end of 2016, we were all you know, sort of riding an emotional high with Rogue One coming out and it was all exciting and everything. Um, but then the year had to go and end on a big bummer note. Um, and sadly, you know, I'm sure all of you know by now, but, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher passed away um, just on, I think it was December 27th. Um, and man, just, you know, such a, a huge loss, um, especially when, you know, first, like the news came out a few days earlier that um, she had suffered a massive heart attack and, you know, at the, at that point, everybody was, and it was like a couple of days before Christmas too. And everybody's just like, oh my gosh, like we've already lost so many celebrities and, you know, there's just been a lot of rough stuff going on in the world this year. Like, don't let us lose Carrie Fisher too. Um, and then we were hearing reports that, you know, she was in stable condition and getting better. And, um, but I mean, who knows how true any of that was? I mean, after the fact, it sounds like it really wasn't. Um, but you know, just different rumors and speculation and you know people hoping that she was okay or you know trying to be the first to break stories or whatever but 
Um, yeah. So then, you know, a few days later on, uh, on December 27th, she passed away just after, you know, complications from this heart attack. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it sucks, but, um, you know, at least it was nice to see just such a huge outpouring of, of love from, you know, the whole Star Wars community and people sharing tributes and, you know, their memories of her. And, um, of course we lost Kenny Baker last year as well. And so I've seen a lot of, you know, just touching, um, like artwork and stuff of, uh, you know, showing Princess Leia and R2-D2 together and stuff. Even Dave Filoni did uh, a drawing of the two of them. Um, yeah, that was great. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it, it was definitely, it was a bummer, but, um, yeah, like you said, it was just we're on such a Star Wars high, and then to have that happen, it was just it was just awful. And yeah, it hit me pretty hard when the news first came out. Like I said on that Friday of before the, like, Christmas weekend, where we found out she had that heart attack on a plane. It was just I was on edge that whole day. It was just that an awful feeling because just hearing how severe it was, I was just kind of preparing myself for the worst and knowing that that didn't look good. And then when she did finally pass on Tuesday, it was just, yeah, just such a horrible feeling to have because, I mean, I never had the opportunity or pleasure to meet Carrie Fisher at a convention or anything like that, but it still has that feeling that you lost somebody that you knew as a, as a friend because I love Star Wars as long as I can remember being alive and there wasn't a time in my life where I didn't have Han, Luke, and Leia in in my life and knowing about them and then just watching them the year, <laughs> as the years go by in my life, it's seeing that they're always there and now knowing that uh, one of them is gone and Carrie Fisher it just it just doesn't feel right and I did watch A New Hope I believe the day after she passed and I've been wanting to watch it anyway just because of Rogue One but when she did pass I just felt like I I had to I just had to watch it and kind of I don't know if it's like a tribute type thing or just kind of as a way to grieve for her loss just to see where it all began with her for me as a Star Wars fantasy or as Princess Leia just the legacy that she left behind for so many people is just extraordinary so unfortunately it's one of those things where when you watch the original trilogy and in The Force Awakens now it's just there's gonna be a little you know hole in your heart now where just knowing that Carrie Fisher isn't with us when you see her on screen so mm-hmm. it was definitely a, was a, a bad week for Star Wars fans to it just and of course for her family to deal with it's just horrible and you know coming like you mentioned at the beginning where we're coming off such a star wars high and to end on a bummer note but like you said the outpouring that of support and love that we're shown from not only just fans but of course other actors involved with star wars like mark hamill harrison ford george lucas everybody just showing how much carrie fisher meant to them was just awesome to see so she will definitely be remembered for those who knew her and then just for us as fans who never got to meet her just through her great work as princess leia so she's going to be with us forever it's just sad that you know to think now that she's uh, not around when we watch these movies just, this feels weird for me as because it's, it's one of those things because we've been around big so where big so time celebrities have passed away but as sad as it is it's nothing to me is bigger than star wars as far as what i'm into and mm-hmm. now one of a big uh, part of Star Wars is now gone. It's just like a feeling I never had before, and it just—I <laughs> don't—I don't like that feeling. But unfortunately, it's the reality. So yeah, no, and I—I I totally feel the same way. I mean, obviously, like I said, we lost a lot of celebrities in 2016. You know, big names like Prince and David Bowie and Alan Rickman and people like that. Um, and 
you know, I, I'm just not usually a person to get like really torn up over celebrity deaths. I mean, you know, definitely I pay my respects to those people and, you know, it's sad when they pass and, you know, we remember their legacies and, you know, the work that they leave behind and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, at the same time, I mean, like you said, it, you know, we don't know them personally. We haven't met them, most of us anyway. I mean, some people may have gotten to, to meet Carrie Fisher like at conventions or something. And obviously, you know, she had a I'm sure a lot of personal, you know, friends and family. And, um, yeah, you definitely feel for her family, especially, you know, when her mother, uh, Debbie Reynolds, who was also a, a well-known actress, um, passed away like the day after, right? Yeah. Incredibly tragic. All that, like, those yeah. two days where the family had to go through two losses, just awful. Yeah. And so, you know, you just feel bad for, for her daughter and her brother and, um, you know, all the people that were close to her. Um, but I mean, yeah, like you said, you know, I mean, famous people, you know, pass away all the time and you just got to, you know, kind of remember them and, and honor their legacy and move on. But then when it's someone, you know, as, like you said, as, as closely tied to something that we care about so deeply, like Star Wars, um, and it's not, not just because we're, you know, huge fans and we know all the trivia and get into all the, the nitty gritty and, you know, p play Battlefront all the time, but, you know, even if I weren't as big of a Star Wars fan as I am now, like I've still, you know, I've loved those movies since I was like four or five years old. Um, and yeah, it's hard to remember a time when I didn't know who Han and Luke and Leia were and just being able to recognize those faces. And so, um, yeah, even though I didn't know Carrie Fisher personally, it's like this one hits a little closer to home because, um, you know, I'm, I'm just so used to, to seeing her character and, uh, you know, seeing her face just in, in interviews and talk shows and stuff. And because, I mean, I think the other part of the reason that people are mourning her so much is not just because she was so iconic for playing Princess Leia, but because she was just such a big personality too. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, certainly had a lot of ups and downs in her life, but just, you know, the way that she handled all of it and the way that she talked about all of it, um, you know, is just, you know, she, she certainly left an impact and, and, will be remembered by a lot of people. Um, and I, I think of all the, you know, the tributes and the articles and things that people wrote, um, it was definitely like Mark Hamill's uh, words who, that, you know, sort of connected with me the most. Um, I mean, initially when the first, when the news first broke that she had passed, you know, obviously it's all over Twitter and Facebook and the internet and news sites and everything. And people are, you know, tweeting and posting on Facebook and, and writing articles and talking about it on TV, on the news and stuff. And, uh, you know, giving these eloquent, you know, tributes and, you know, whether it's just like a, a touching, you know, 140 characters in a tweet talking about how much uh, the character of Leia meant to somebody or, uh, you know, actors talking about what it was like to work with her and stuff like that. You know, it was just all these these people you know, sort of putting their, their feelings into words. And then meanwhile, Mark Hamill, you know, just tweeted that like he was so devastated that he had no words, which if you follow Mark Hamill on social media, you know, like he is a man of words. Um, it, it's not like his posts are always like super long and wordy and stuff, but it seems like he's always got something to say, whether it's an opinion or a witty, uh, you know, quip or whatever. But, um, you know, I mean, and just imagining, you know, the, how, how close those two must have been on set. And, you know, of course, obviously they're real people and not just their characters, but it's hard not to imagine, you know, Luke and Leia and 
now Luke without Leia, like, you know, I'm sure, you know, hit him a lot harder than it, than it hit most of us just because of the amount of time that they spent together, you know, on those movies. Um, but then, you know, later in the day, he, he did post, um, on his own social media channels, he posted, um, you know, a more wordy, you know, a longer tribute. Um, and then I think he also did an interview with entertainment weekly, um, where he just talked about, you know, how, and it wasn't even like an interview where they were asking questions necessarily. It was kind of just an article that was like, um, his tribute to, to Carrie Fisher and talking about what it was like to know her and to work with her. And, um, it's so, I mean, it, it felt like the most real and genuine, of, of all the things that I read, because again, not that people were being fake or, or whatever, but just, you got the sense that, um, you know, that he really got to know her better than most people did. And at the same time, you know, he talked about what it was like for them working on star Wars together. And then in the years since, you know, it's not like they were best friends for life. Like, you know, they, they kind of stayed in contact or would see each other at star Wars conventions or talk every once in a while or whatever, but you know, they kind of went their separate ways, just like a lot of people in life do. Um, and then got back together, you know, for the force awakens. And he was talking about what, it, what that was like for them being, you know, the old guys now, and, you know, coming back to this thing that made them famous so many years ago. And, uh, you know, he talked about just her energy and her personality and her spirit and the times that he absolutely loved her. But then also, you know, it was kind of refreshing almost to hear him also talk about like, you know what, sometimes she would drive me nuts. But in that he, he talked about how in that sense, they kind of were like, almost a real life brother and sister sometimes where, you know, sometimes he loved her. Sometimes she would drive him crazy, but at the end of the day, you know, he's thankful for, for all those times and all those memories. And just, you know, again, just like with everyone else that, you know, she'll just leave a big impact on his life. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, just really nice to read that from him. Um, and again, you know, obviously really tragic that we have to be reading all these things in the first place, but, um, you know, obviously, at least when someone passes, it's nice to to be able to hear all these you know tributes from people and know that they've left such a, a lasting impact and um, you know that they'll be remembered so much, not just for you know for her work as Leia, obviously, but just for the person that she was too. Yeah, definitely. And I've heard stories too that were great for I believe the day she passed, where people went to go see Rogue One that night, and this the amount of cheers and applause that erupted when she came on screen when Leia just says hope and you know just see that almost scene has a whole different meaning now once you see it again but yeah and just moving forward just when I was knowing how great Star Wars fans are just like when they all come together in celebration you know there's just going to be something missing there knowing that Carrie's not there but at the same time you know Star Wars fans were doing nice and I'm sure Lucasfilm is going to plan a nice tribute to her there and just as Carrie Fisher would probably want to for fans to you know continue on celebrating Star Wars and her work while there so while there's probably going to be this a, a feeling and celebration maybe early on where whatever they're having the episode 8 panel and Carrie's not there and you're probably going to hear Mark Hamill say stuff and uh, Kathleen Kennedy say stuff that you know might make you feel a little down but at the end of the day it's going to be something where the Star Wars fans will be there to uplift one another and, you know, turn it into a positive and remembering uh, Carrie Fisher and then, you know, kind of embracing what's going to be her last performance as, as Princess Leia for Episode Eight. So it's going to be kind of a mixed emotions type thing, I'm, I imagine, for a celebration. So, but uh, we know that Star Wars fans were 
we'll make it through. And then as far as, you know, moving on and continuing being excited, but just even right now, even though it's been a few weeks since she's passed, it's still hard to accept and it'll probably never be easy to accept, but mm-hmm. this is that impact that she had for, you know, like you said, not even Star Wars, but just for, you know, the other stuff that she's done and just her uh, personality and life too. It's definitely going to be missed in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, you know, don't want to, uh, to take away from, you know, the other work that she's done either. Um, because obviously she's most famous for playing Leia, but she you know, acted in other movies and also, um, you know, had a, a writing career as well where she had um, written some novels. And then also, I didn't even know this, but she had not only written books, but was sort of a, uh, not a screenwriter, but sort of like a script doctor in Hollywood where she wouldn't be the one writing the scripts. But if they were having issues with, you know, where they maybe couldn't mm. get the feeling of a certain character right or weren't sure how to write some particular dialogue or were having, you know, issues with the story that they couldn't really figure out how to work around, she would come in and, um, you know, help sort of sort through some of those problems and just do, you know, rewrites or make her own edits and that sort of thing. Um, which is also, you know, a really important job because obviously the screenwriter is the one who comes up with, you know, the bulk of it and, um, you know, has all the, the big ideas and, and does most of the work. But then sometimes you just come to a point where, you know, you might be kind of stuck and might just need somebody with a fresh perspective or a, a fresh pair of eyes and um, for somebody else to be able to come in and help work through some of those issues is, you know, just Im- just as important to, to uh, the end result being a good movie. So, um, you know, she certainly had a lot more, uh, you know, talents and, uh, you know, more work to her a a bigger body of work i guess than um than just being princess leia but um obviously that's what we'll most remember her for um and uh yeah you know like you said it's uh you know as fans we carry on you know we'll have we'll be watching these movies till you know we're dead and gone so you know we'll never forget her we'll never stop seeing her um and obviously you know (laughs) i i think even not knowing Carrie Fisher, Fisher personally, but just knowing what I do know of her, I, I think she would definitely want fans to, uh, you know, carry on and, and remember her with, uh, you know, some sense of, you know, celebration and uh, and a more uplifting note. I mean, for crying out loud, she got cremated and, and had her ashes in a urn shaped like a Prozac pill. (laughs) She was not one to take things too seriously. So, um, you know, obviously, yeah, we, we grieve and mourn because, you know, the, the initial just tragedy of, of losing someone like that is, you know, hard to deal with, but I'm sure, you know, hopefully we'll get to a point where we can just remember her fondly and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, even crack a joke about it or something. I mean, not about her dying, but, you know, just, uh, you know, to be fondly remembering like the, those more uplifting moments. Um, in fact, I saw one, um, article, I think it was, uh, Lucas Siegel who wrote, writes for, um, comicbook.com. He posted just a, he like, you know, penned a, a lengthy article talking about his earliest memories of star Wars and Carrie Fisher and stuff. And the image that he used for sort of the header of the article was Carrie on stage at celebration spanking James Arnold Taylor with the microphone. Like he, he's lying across her lap and she's like spanking him. And some people were giving him a hard time about like, you know, that being disrespectful or whatever, but I don't know. I, I appreciated it. Like, I mean, that might not have necessarily been what I would have 
gone with as like my main picture, but I was, I mean, we were at that panel. Um, or I don't, but were you at, um, at the celebration in Orlando? No, this, uh, Anaheim was my first one. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, me and, uh, and, you know, Michael Cohen and Jason Hunt and some of our other friends, we were out there for, uh, celebration six back in 2012 and yeah i was at that panel where james arnold taylor was interviewing her on stage and and they just had some you know outrageous moments and yeah she was you know spanking him at one point and she she was telling stories about um you know that scene in uh empire strikes back where they land on bespin and you know they come out and they like greet lando and stuff she said something Uh like you know that's the only time in the movie when han smiles and it's because they were all on set. They were like still drunk from some huge party <laughs> they'd had the night before at like, I forget Mick Jagger or some, some uh, like famous rock star who lives in London where they were filming. They'd like had a huge party at their house the night before and, you know, all showed up like hung over to set the next day. And we're just kind of like, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, she was full of, you know, just quirks and, and, witticisms and funny stories and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think that definitely is, you know, going to be part of her legacy and it's part of what people remember about her. So it's not just all, you know, glum and sadness. I think there's, you know, there's room for humor in there as well. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, that's kind of probably how she'd want it to be too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and you, you hear that said about a lot of people that, oh, they'd want us to, you know, remember them and celebrate their life and not just be sad. But I, I think that's probably more true even for Carrie Fisher than for most people. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously that was a, a rough way to uh, end the year, but, um, you know, we, we carry on. And you know what I would love to see is some, maybe them do a panel at Celebration or something where, you know, they just get some of the the original trilogy actors together and, you know, just share stories and memories and, you know, tell some embarrassing or funny stories or something that fans may not have heard before. And, um, you know, just, again, give people a chance to sort of reflect and, uh, you know, remember some of those good times. Yeah, that would be really cool if they just have, like, a specific panel dedicated to her. Yeah, I'm sure they, I mean, it would be, I would be surprised if they didn't. Yeah, you know they're going to do something, but, like, if it's, like, a whole dedicated panel like an hour's worth type thing that'd be really cool yeah because i have a feeling they're probably have some during the episode eight panel if they're gonna just have it there but i'm sure they will there too but then maybe have its own thing that's Mm kind of like a little i don't know if they want to do like a little memorial service thing for fans or just like you said get some of the original trilogy cast members who worked with her before to tell stories just you know this another there's probably different ways they can go about undoing it but one thing's for sure we know that Lucasfilm and those in charge of organizing celebration are going to do something to honor her legacy and that as a tribute to her. That's for darn sure. Yeah, and I think they'll they'll do it justice. They'll find the exactly. right the right balance of um, you know of memorial and celebration. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's move on to uh, talking about the good part of the end of 2016, which was Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Um, like I said, we've got a, a few other, um, you know, some articles and some additional things that have come out about the movie afterwards. But um, before we get to those items, um, let's just talk for a bit about uh, 
you know, general thoughts on the movie. Uh, like Tim, how many times have you seen it now? Have any of your opinions changed since the last time we talked about it? Anything new that you've noticed? Anything like that? Yeah, so I've seen it four times now. I was, I was should have been at five right now because I had some plans to do this last weekend, but they fell through unfortunately. But right now it's at four, which was my second count for The Force Awakens. So I, I do want to see it one more time because going through the visual guide, I finished that and I'm almost done with the art book. And every time I read it, it just makes me want to see the movie again. It just gets me all pumped up for knowing what's there and just to go experience again. But yeah, I said on our review episode when I first saw it, I really liked it. I didn't love it like I did The Force Awakens when I first came out. But after seeing it four times now, I'm ready to call it a great movie. I'm ready to say I love it. It fits up there nicely with all the other Star Wars movie, yet being its own thing, it still feels like a standalone movie, but yet Star Wars. So I love that aspect about it. And I just think it fits in perfectly in the time period it sets up and leads perfectly into directly into A New Hope. It just gets me more excited and into just... Not only the story it's telling there, but just the Star Wars universe in general, especially when I saw it the fourth time and just taking it all in, knowing everything that's there and just making me it's just the feeling I had watching it now. It just I love Star Wars. It's just so great. <laughs> you got all these different facets to the story. And this is just one cool aspect of that and introducing these great new characters and what the sacrifice they had to make. That's what really kind of hit home with me a little more on my more recent viewings with just, you know, the sacrifice that that crew had to make for the greater good. And then knowing their sacrifice leads into, you know, the ultimate, not the ultimate victory just yet for the rebels, but the biggest one. And that comes in the form of Luke Skywalker, just how all these characters have these connections, but yet they never meet. And now the rogue one has their own like corner in the galaxy as rebel heroes. And, uh, just love that aspect of it and the sacrifice that these characters had to make uh, for the rebellion and for Luke to do, you know, what he did and to become famous for within the galaxies, all those little connective stuff like that. I just take in more when I see it. But as far as noticing new stuff, not too much. I did see most of the, you know, rebels cameos, my first viewing, but I remember telling you where I didn't see or didn't hear the Carabas line mm-hmm. by Pal the first three times, but on the fourth time, <laughs> I did hear it because, like you said, it comes before you actually see him on screen. I did notice that on that one. And it's a little thing, but I don't know why it even took me so long to notice it. But when uh, the rebel soldiers were rescuing Jin from the Imperial tr- prison transport and the soldiers are were you know yelling out, uh, a names and then they go to Jin and I didn't realize that that was one of her aliases when uh, General Draven was saying listing off her different aliases that she had when they were in the briefing room. I go, oh, that's what uh, Melshi called her <laughs> and when he was screaming out the names in the Imperial Transport. Okay, that makes sense. So didn't pick up on that the first few viewings. So just little things like that I'm picking it up when I see it. But yeah, every time I see it, I get more and more into it and I just love it. And I've seen with a few different people like my family members like my parents had an uncle who saw they were you know they like star wars but they're not diehard fans not even close to the level i'm at and they all really liked it like my dad was someone who was really liked force awakens he went in when we got on blu-ray he went as far as to say it's probably his favorite star wars movie and after rogue one now he's contemplating you know what maybe this one might actually be my favorite one so mm-hmm. he really enjoyed it seems like everyone i've seen it with is enjoying it which is cool and when they enjoy it, it makes me enjoy it more. So that's always oh, a good yeah. thing. Yeah, and I've actually I've seen it four times now too. Um, 
And I like this movie gets better every time I watch it. Um, and I mean, I, I think I probably liked it even more than you did on the first viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's always weird watching a star Wars movie for the first time. Like, yeah, because you have so many expectations and so many things that you've heard. And I, I feel like the first time you watch it, you're doing so much analyzing and sort of comparing it to what you thought it was going to be that then the second time you're able to just appreciate it more for what it is. Exactly. Um, but yeah, just every time I've watched it, like the cool stuff gets cooler. The stuff that I maybe have issues with doesn't bother me as much. Um, especially, I mean, I know I talked about on our last episode how the, the CGI Tarkin really, I mean, didn't like ruin the movie for me or anything. And I didn't like hate it, but it just, it stood out to me. It bugged me a little bit. It's, you know, kind of like, it was just like a thorn in my side sort of, um, but by now, like, it does, like, I, I, that's one of those things that I just get more used to it and it doesn't bother me as much. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I love that space battle at the end. And that was one thing I had talked about too, how, um, you know, I maybe was not quite as thrilled with that as I was hoping I would be, but, um, kind of like you with the ground battle, I was like, I maybe just had my expectations set too high. Like I was going in thinking that that was going to be the best space battle we'd ever seen in star Wars. And I think it still probably takes the number two spot behind, um, Return of the Jedi, like behind the Battle of Endor for me. Although there's also the, you know, Battle of Yavin, but in terms of just like scale and and scope and, you know, all the, the different action going on, um, it definitely is above that one in terms of just, you know, the number of ships on screen and the, the choreography of the dogfights and the action and everything. But, you know, the, the Battle of Yavin kind of goes in its own special category because Luke going down the trench run you know, with Vader behind him, that's almost more of a chase scene than a battle scene, because at that point, it's really just about the two of them and Luke trying to blow up the Death Star and not just about these fleets going at it and wiping each other out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I love the the space battles. I love the ground battles. I love the characters. I love the storyline. I freaking love the music. That's what keeps drawing me back yeah. to it. Like, after the fourth time, and also the fourth time... I or the most recent time I saw the movie was in IMAX 3D and it was actually the first time I had seen it um in that format and it just looked gorgeous sounded gorgeous and after that I was like you know what that might be enough for me like you know not that I'm tired of the movie or anything but I'm like I don't know that I need to keep going back and seeing it because that was just you know it was just really good and like I'm satisfied with the number of times I've seen it and then a few days later I listened to the soundtrack and I'm like dang it, this is making me want to go see the movie again. (laughs) Um, And even I was listening to it last night while I was reading the visual guide, and then I had it stuck in my head as we were talking about stuff before we started recording and as we were just pulling up uh, the different articles and stuff that we wanted to talk about. Um, We were talking about something relating to Star Destroyers, and uh, I got the, the Rogue One the Imperial theme stuck in my head, which I freaking love because I don't remember if I said this on our last episode or not, but to me, that is almost like the new, like Imperial March. Like it's the Imperial March for the empire because 
the the John Williams Imperial March, even though it's called the Imperial March, we all know that really is Darth Vader's theme. Yeah, um, And I'm not saying that needs to be replaced or anything. Obviously, that is that is like one of the most iconic pieces of music ever, and I love it, and it's perfect. But again, it's it's called the Imperial March, but it really could be called Vader's March. And so now we have another piece of music that you know evokes kind of the same feel and emotion but now because of the story of rogue one i associate that more with the death star and star destroyers and stormtroopers whereas you know when the imperial march starts playing the the first image that pops into my head is like vader walking into a room so i think it it is like a perfect complement piece to that um yeah i agree and one thing i'll say about the soundtrack though one of my favorite pieces of the music is not on the soundtrack it was in the movie and it was on that first like sneak peek video we got for it, but then I was a little bummed it wasn't on the soundtrack. It was the "Her Path Is Clear," where it kind of sounds like the little variation of the Imperial March, like oh okay, yeah. So I kind of had to take the audio from that video and then kind of cut out the part where Gareth Edwards talking in the beginning and just stick it in the middle of the soundtrack <laughs> of my iPod, so it all kind of floats into there. But Wait, so, what part of the movie is that from? It's it's when they're on Edu and Cassian and Bodhi are talking to each other. I think it's when Cassian tells Bodhi, you know, go look for a ship. And he's all like, what are you going to do? Like, I'm looking. Like, just hurry up and go. It's when they're having that conversation. Oh, okay. But, yeah, that's one of my favorite pieces of music. When I was looking, But even when I first got the soundtrack, I was like, where is it? I'm I, Did I miss it? I had to go back in certain parts, but it's just not there. So I go, oh, this better take that audio from that sneak peek. And good thing they had that video. Because if I would have heard it in the movie, the movie it got get stuck in my head and not having an audio source for it yet would have probably drive me crazy <laughs> yeah. not be able to listen to it yeah but man just that whole soundtrack i mean it is i don't know michael giacchino did a fantastic job yeah, um, he really did. of of blending the old and the new and using just the right amount of sort of callbacks and you know cues from uh the original score by john williams um but I think his his new stuff is great. Um, and there's kind of like three main themes in there because um, then at the end of the soundtrack, there's uh, like the last three tracks on there are just called you know, Jin Suite and or I think it's like Jin Urso and the Hope Suite or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the Imperial Suite and then there's the Guardians of the Wills Suite, which is kind of um, Bayes and Chirut's theme. Um which I, I've kind of come to really appreciate that too. And just um, especially after reading the visual guide and kind of getting a little bit more of an insight into uh, the guardians of the wills and their whole, um, I mean, it, it doesn't explain a whole lot about their background, but a little bit more into it, um, which I thought was really interesting because at least from the sort of just the behind the scenes stuff we had heard from the movie or just the descriptions of the characters or whatever. Um, and maybe I misinterpreted this, but to my understanding, it's like I, I always just sort of assumed that the Guardians of the Wills, they were like sort of followers of the Jedi. Like they're the people who can't use the Force but still believe in the Jedi ideals and that sort of thing. Um, but at least from the visual guide, what it made it sound like is that it's almost more they're like their own separate yeah, section of, you know, Force worshippers and still can't use the force or at least you know bays and chirut can't maybe there are some members of the order who can but um they sort of have a different view on it than the jedi do they don't necessarily view the force as the light side and the dark side like the jedi and the sith um 
they sort of, you know, again, they, they believe in the same force and they, um, believe in some of the same ideals as the Jedi. And they, they talked about how their histories are kind of intertwined and there's sort of some debate as to whether, um, the, the Jedi originated from the guardians of the wills or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I thought it was, or even the name of Jeddah, the name of the planet. Like, what came first? That the name based off the Jedi, or the Jedi based their name? Off yeah, the exactly. Like who like who named what based off of which one? Um, so it was just really cool to get a little bit of insight into that history there. And I mean, it's almost like you know, I, I sort of suddenly viewed it in this new way to where it's kind of like some modern day religions where you know, there's a lot of different like denominations of Christianity that all worship the same god but do it differently and maybe believe certain different things and either you know even you know completely different religions that still you know sort of follow the same guiding principle or the same main idea that there's one god or whatever um but you know just go about practicing that religion differently or, or believe slightly different things and so now that you i mean once i thought about it that way i was like oh yeah that totally makes sense because in, in the previous Star Wars movies, we've really only seen the Force through the lens of the Jedi, but in this galaxy of billions and trillions of planets and beings yeah. <laughs> and stuff, it's like not every Force-sensitive person is going to get recruited by the Jedi, and not everyone who, you know, can use the Force or even, you know, knows about the Force and studies the Force is going to become part of the Jedi Order, and people are going to come from different cultures and different backgrounds and have different perspectives on things. So I think it's really cool to just think that like i mean on the one hand this is sort of like you know maybe an offshoot of the jedi or something but on at the same time it's also kind of its own separate thing and that at some point you know the the jedi knights and the guardians of the wills were both out there doing their own thing serving the force in their own way and i think that's really cool yeah we got a hint of stuff like that small bits of it in clone wars and the jar jar mace windu episodes with I'm blinking on their species name right now, but they had their own. Oh yeah, wars that they I'll leave you and all that, and the fact that we're getting more different aspects like that. I mean, you got the Night Sisters with their thing, and this the more expansion that the beliefs and the Force there is in the galaxies, the more I'm intrigued, and the more, like you said, I think it makes sense because it is a very big galaxy, and it's not just going to be limited to Jedi and the Sith who use the Force. There's going to be these different. Uh, groups out there who have their own beliefs for it and the more we get that the more i think it's great it just makes it you know feel more realistic in the sense where it's not just going to be limited to two but there's going to be a lot of different people who view the force in different ways and the fact that this it gets expanded on in in rogue one with the guardians of the wills and it's, it's just a cool little nod that they're taking it from george lucas's early ideas of the force and the jedi and the, mm. and the wills and the journal of the wills is what the title was going to be so it just all connects in these cool ways but i just love how it's just expanding the galaxy and just making it bigger with these new avenues that we can view the force as so i just love it yeah and also i think we had talked about before that you know initially i thought that she was going to be this character who just believed in the force but couldn't use it and then after seeing the movie the first couple of times i was like oh well he's obviously got some kind of force sensitivity going on um but then after hearing some things afterwards and, and especially reading some things in the visual guide, I'm like, well, I'm kind of back to my original idea now. I think he just, you know, he believes in the Force, he serves the Force, he trusts in the Force, but I don't think he really uses it. And obviously he doesn't, like, sort of call on it and use 
you know, like force pushing stormtroopers around or, or throwing force lightning or anything like that. But even to the point of like having, you know, force senses or anything like that. Um, I know one thing for a lot of people that made them think, oh, he's got to be able to use the force to some degree is when Jin first meets him and he says something about her kyber crystal necklace. And uh, Jin says, you know, how did you know I was wearing it? Or how did you know I was wearing a necklace? And he says, for that answer, you must pay. Um, well, we did have to pay. We had to pay for the visual guide, which tells you <laughs> that kyber crystals actually resonate with a very high specific frequency and that Chiru, you know, being blind and having just really heightened and sharpened his other senses to compensate for that he can hear the, the the vibrations of a kyber crystal um and that actually he has one embedded in the tip of his staff too um and that's part of the reason he can fight so well with it is because he can hear that crystal and that helps him gauge like how far the end of the staff is from you know, I guess from his ears or whatever, but, you know, just gives him a, a better sense of distance and whatever. So, I mean, when Jin comes up to him, maybe he, I mean, maybe he does have some kind of force sensitivity, but also he, maybe he just heard the crystal and heard a person approaching and I don't know, maybe his senses are so well attuned that he could tell that the place that the vibrations were coming from, that the crystal was around where someone's neck would be and that she must be wearing it around her neck. Or maybe he just, you know, got lucky and made a, a good guess. Um, maybe kyber crystal necklaces are just kind of a thing on Jeddah. I don't know. But um, <laughs> again, that was just, just all those little tidbits. I mean, if you guys haven't read the visual guide in the art book, I mean, and I haven't even read all the way through them yet, but just the the kind of information and as well as the really cool images and especially in the art book. I mean, just yeah. the, the artwork in there is phenomenal. Um, I got the Force Awakens art book and yeah, I got that for Christmas last year and I looked at every image in the thing. I still haven't read most of the actual text in there because I'm like a kid just flipping through a picture book and like, oh, I want to see that. I want that, 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 that. And, you know, I'll read like the captions about um you know what the image is or something but sometimes there's you know long paragraphs in there about the the design process and the concept of uh you know what was going into this artwork or what they were thinking at this time in production and i read some of that stuff but not all of it and i need to go back and actually read the whole thing and do the same thing with row one but um yeah the art book is really good what's cool about the art book like you mentioned this great visual as far as all the different concept art that was developed for it but it's also like a mini uh, behind the scenes or making of book of it, especially mm -hmm. in the beginning where you go through the process of John Knowles' pitch and coming up with his treatment. And uh, one thing I never knew about that it was revealed in the art book was that it was originally called Destroyer of Worlds. <laughs> so that was like mm -hmm. the title of it before his early treatments. And just, you know, the process of moving from concept art to filming and developing the different ideas for the look of it. I mean, one of the best parts of the book is getting when they get because it's based off planets each section of the book and when you get to mustafar man you see a lot of <laughs> cool oh, ideas yeah. and just seeing how they're going back to ralph mcquarrie ralph mcquarrie's original plans you know for darth vader's castle from empire and then having them actually make that a reality everyone was so excited about it and i believe there was a quote in there from gary witta if i'm not mistaken how some of the concept art that was shown to her from mustafar that's kind of what got her really excited about it she was just so pleasing what was was shown in that concept art and it's like yeah you guys got to do this so yeah a lot of cool stuff like that in the book so great visually and then this great insight into the making of the movie i just got 
the end section of it, Scarif left to read, and then I'll finish it. But yeah, it's really, really good. I think, I don't want to say they're must-gets, but if you really loved Rogue One, I think these books are really just going to enhance your love for it even more and just gives you more insight to it. They're really well done. I think mm-hmm. the visual guide's probably the best one yet. It's a lot bigger, the oh, layout yeah. and how it's structured is a lot, I think, more concise and just structured better than the previous ones have been so yeah all around these two books are just really really good yeah i definitely noticed like and i don't have a ton of the visual guides um but i i think i have one that was like it was an ultimate visual guide of like all six movies but it was one that they released years ago before there yeah, was that's one with yoda on the and, cover yeah yeah i've got okay. that one with yoda on the cover and then i've got the one for rogue one and the one for the force awakens well at least for like i can tell that the one for Rogue One has a lot more to it than the Force Awakens one did. Um you know, it feels thicker and it just has a lot more stuff in it. It even it's almost like a cross between the visual guide and those cross sections books that they do because kind of scattered in throughout like the book with uh you know whenever there's a ship like the U-wing or the Imperial shuttle or you know stuff like that they'll throw a, a cross section in there and it's like, Oh cool. We can see, you know, inside the ship and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, definitely. I would say, I mean, for both of these books, yeah, they're definitely worth the money. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's no shortage of good content in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard to rank, you know, and I think we probably talked about this last time too, in terms of trying yeah, to. I still haven't gotten there. As far yeah, as I I haven't it. either. I mean, where I'm still at right now is Empire and Jedi are my top two, um, in in rever- interchangeable order sometimes. But I mean, as of right now, I would say Return of the Jedi is probably my favorite, with Empire Strikes Back right behind it. Um, and for me, you know, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, as much as I like the prequels and, you know, appreciate all of them, those are just the two that are easiest for me to place at the bottom of my list. Not because I don't like them, I just don't like them as much as I like all the other ones. Um, and then, see, I I had been saying that Force Awakens was my number three favorite, but right now I feel like it's just kind of a jumbled mess in the middle of, like, The Force <laughs> Awakens, A New Hope, Rogue One, and... Uh, Oh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I'm like, which one am I forgetting? Um, Just because they're all, you know, really good and all kind of have their different, like, strengths and weaknesses. And A New Hope, I mean, some of the other ones are obviously, you know, newer and more exciting and they can do cooler stuff with the special effects and whatever. But that one almost deserves to go in its own category because, like, that's the one where it all started from. And you wouldn't have any of the other movies on the list if you didn't have A New Hope. So... You know, I, I always kind of hesitate to, like, put too many movies above that on my list. But at the same time, I'm like, if I had to pick one movie to just rewatch over and over again that I would never get tired of, I mean, right now it would probably be, well, I mean, I don't know. Right now it would probably be Rogue One or The Force Awakens, but this, that's just because those are the newer ones that I haven't seen as many times as I've seen all the other yeah, ones. Yeah, that makes it hard, um, right? <laughs> I mean, at least comparing... I think it is kind of easier for me to compare Rogue One and The Force Awakens right now because I've heard, you know, some people say, yeah, I still like The Force Awakens better. Some people say, oh, I definitely, you know, think Rogue One was better. Um, And it's, I don't know if I can easily place one ahead of the other, but I definitely like the story of Rogue One better. I think it's definitely more, um, more concise in its storytelling. It has a strong 
drive and purpose throughout the whole thing. Um, I mean, The Force Awakens, I love the characters. I love the way it's written. Um, and I, you know, I just love some of the the action moments. and or, Yeah, obviously, like, the, the action moments and the lightsaber battles and all that kind of stuff is really cool. Um, it's just, but it, it sometimes it just feels like a, a compilation of great moments and great scenes and great, you know, environments and characters and stuff without a really strong connecting story driving through because the first half of the movie it's like they're looking for luke skywalker and then you know they they find bb-8 they get him to maz who's gonna you know help get him to the resistance or whatever and then the movie suddenly kind of takes a, a left turn out of nowhere and it's like oh wait there's star killer base we didn't know about that in the beginning but now we got to blow up that thing so it's just kind of like feels like okay we're gonna go here and do this now we're gonna go here and do this and then oh this happened we're gonna go here and do this um, it just doesn't feel like the plot of that movie is as strong. Whereas Rogue One, obviously from the very beginning, it's like we're breaking Jin out of prison because we got a message from her father about this Imperial weapon and we need to find out what it is. And then, you know, in short order, you find out that it's the Death Star and then they have to outrun Jeddah as the Death Star destroys it and all this kind of stuff. So I, I feel like just sort of the, um, you know, the, the plot and the, uh, motivations and everything of Rogue One are a lot stronger. Um, and, you know, I, I really like the way it fits in too, just with the, the overall, you know, world, the way that it, you know, f obviously like with the X-Wings and the Stormtroopers and all that classic stuff feels like it could fit in right before A New Hope. But I think it also does a perfect job of blending in some new stuff, like with the U-Wing and the TIE Strikers. I'm like why weren't those in episode seven? Like, that's yeah. the kind of stuff I wanted to see from The Force Awakens. And, like, honestly, Rogue One for me is kind of making some of the weaknesses of The Force Awakens stand out a little bit more. Um, the fact that, you in know... In that regard, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah, Art, it's like, it's... it's designs and... Yeah, it's 30 years after the fact, and we're still using, you know... I mean, sure, they changed the X-Wing designs a little bit, but it's just Ralph McQuarrie's original concept for X-Wings from A New Hope, and the TIE Fighters look more or less the same whereas in rogue one you've got these new ships like the you know like i said the u-wing the tie striker um admiral radis's big you know flagship in the middle of the rebel fleet that you know again we've never seen before but fits right in with the rest of those rebel ship designs and i'm like man i wish we had gotten some more stuff along these lines in the force awakens like that's what i wanted to see um so yeah i don't know it's I, I could maybe say at this point I like Rogue One a little bit better, but I would kind of need to maybe I'll wait till Rogue One comes out on Blu-ray and watch the two of them back to back and be like, okay, which one did I enjoy more? <laughs> I'm already I got my plans when the Blu-ray comes out. Watch Rogue One, then immediately pop a New Hope right in right after. I can't mm -hmm. wait to do that. <laughs> well, you know what? Honestly, I so I've done that. Um, but first, I think it was maybe after this. It must have been after the second time I saw. Maybe well, the first or second time I saw Rogue One, um, I came home and I was like flipping through channels late at night, and they were showing a New Hope on like TNT or something, and it was already like halfway through the movie, um, and they were there. It was like when they're trying to escape from the trash compactor or escaping the Death Star or whatever, and then. Like the day after Christmas, I think was the third time I went to go see Rogue One and I came home and watched the entirety of A New Hope right after that. 
And oddly enough, I mean, obviously, I love the story of A New Hope and, you know, the introduction to all the characters and stuff. But as far as the actual connective tissue to Rogue One, I kind of enjoyed it more watching Rogue One and then just the second half of A New Hope where they actually go blow up the Death Star. Mm. Um, <laughs> because obviously, like, if you watch A New Hope right afterwards, like, the opening scene obviously picks up pretty much right where Rogue One left off with vader's star destroyer you know chasing uh the tantive four and you know him boarding and looking for the death star plans and all that good stuff but then we take an hour-long detour as the droids crash on tatooine and we meet luke and he wants to go to the tashi station and then he runs into some tuscan raiders and he gets saved by old ben and he explains the force to him and they meet han solo and all this kind of stuff that you know kind of i don't want to say slows it down but it's like for a new hope just by well, itself if you're watching them like looking at the story of just about the death star then yeah but. yeah exactly that's what i'm saying when you watch a new hope just by itself all that stuff obviously is is necessary and you know it's great setup for, for the eventual you know luke's hero's journey but if you're watching it right on the heels of rogue one and you're wanting to see the story of the rebels and the death star plans and everything then yeah that the the beginning half doesn't really have a whole lot to do with it aside from the opening scene and so it really you know is just sort of the the last third or so of the movie once they escape the death star and get back to the rebel base on yavin that it's like okay now we're going to finish what galen or so started mm-hmm. yeah well if you want to watch it that way that's where the scene selections uh, <laughs> yeah there you go just go to any death star stuff but another thing that just uh, popped in my head when we're talking about a new hope was I uh, saw a few fans on Twitter kind of noticing this, which I think is pretty awesome. I mean, it's, it's one of those coincidence type things, obviously, but in the scene where, you know, Tarkin and Vader enter the conference room on the Death Star and he says, you know, the Emperor's done away with the Senate, there's like two missing chairs, I believe, in that scene where like there's no, there's chair, empty chairs, no one's sitting them in there. And it's like, I wonder what one of those chairs was for. Like, whose spot was that? It's hard not to think now that one of those spots was Krennic's. Oh, absolutely. It's not. <laughs> it's going to be empty now until it gets blown up. So there's little things that were, now that you've seen Rogue One, you can, you know, even if it becomes official or not, it's just cool that you can look back on that. Yep, that was probably Krennic's spot. He was in all these meetings. He'd probably be there right now if he didn't go to <laughs> Scarab. But mm-hmm. little things like that makes it cool when you reflect back on what you now know about Rogue One. Yeah. Man, I love that movie. Watch, I'm gonna go end up. I'm gonna end up going to see it again this weekend or something. Yeah, I'd like to make it five. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, man, yeah, just so many great moments, and I love all those characters. Um, and you know, the more I watch it, I'm like, <sighs> on the one hand, it's hard to pick a favorite, but I mean, Cassian really is kind of standing out to me as like, you know, one of the more complex you know, sort of morally complex characters and just, um, I mean, great performance by Diego Luna and he's got a great character arc and he's just, you know, a cool hero to root for. So he might be my new favorite character in that movie as much, but oh, man, I was going to say as much as I love K2SO, but then also the, all the stuff in the visual guide about the guardians of the wills is making me love cheer it even more. <laughs> you know, I just love that whole crew. They're awesome. Yep. I know there's not a weak one in there. Maybe you can, Say you wish one had more screen time than the others, but mm-hmm. as far as all of them being great characters, yeah, I think it's all there for all of them. Yeah, and that's what I've heard as maybe sort of the main criticism for Rogue One is that um, 
you know, it seems like with the, at least with both of these movies so far, there's just, you know, one thing that people kind of nitpick about. And, you know, with The Force Awakens, it was that it felt so similar to the original trilogy. And for Rogue One, the one thing I've heard people say is that they wish some of the characters had gotten more backstory or more, you know, they had been more fleshed out or taken more time to develop some of the characters. Um, which I'm like, yeah, they maybe could have done a little bit, but they they showed you and told you just enough to get you drawn in and invested in those characters. Um, I think on the one hand, the fact that you want to know more um, means they, they succeeded in what they were trying to do. You know, it's better than being like, Oh, that guy had no screen time and he was boring. Like if you, if you wanted to see more or wanted to know more about the character, at least that means you're invested. Um, But you know, to have a main cast of like, you know, sort of six main heroes, none of whom we've ever met before, um, and none of whom we're ever going to see again, you know, this sort of being just like a one-shot story with this uh, this group of characters here. Um, you know, I think they did just what they needed to do. Um, I think Jin and Cassian are obviously the most fleshed out as kind of the two main characters, and I think we definitely are not, I, I don't think we're lacking for character development with those two. Um, and then, you know, Baze and Chirrut, again, we could get to know a little bit more, but I think we know just enough that we understand their role in the story. They're likable. You know, we we get why they're there. We certainly love seeing Cheer, you know, kick some Stormtrooper butt with his staff and everything. Um, and like I said, I find it very hard to believe that we won't ever see like a comic series about those two or something oh, like that. Yeah. I think there's lots of room to explore their backstory, but not room to fit all of that into this movie. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it clearly sort of leaves it open for future story possibilities or, you know, at least just sort of gives you the sense that there's more to these guys, but it's not necessarily relevant to what they're doing here at this moment. This is all about, you know, the mission to take down the Death Star plans. The movie isn't about the Guardians of the Wills. Um, so I think we, I think we know just enough about those guys. Um, if anything, like if I had a choice between more action scenes or more backstory, I would take five more minutes of cheer beating up stormtroopers and Bay's just mowing them down with his big old freaking cannon thing. Um, <laughs> you know, save the backstory for, for comics or novels or, you know, whatever else they're going to do later. Um, and then, you know, K2 doesn't need a whole lot of character development. He's just there for tactical analysis and comic relief and, uh, you know, just making his um, blunt observations about everything. Um, and then, you know, Bodhi, again, we don't get to know super well, but I think we know just enough about him that we understand his role in the story and that, you know, nothing is confusing or left open-ended or whatever. Um I mean, honestly, the only confusing thing for me, I get that they wanted to have like a diverse cast, but the one thing that just slightly bugs me about Bodhi, and I'm like, this guy with like the long hair and the kind of scruffy beard, like you never see any other Imperial guys that look like that. Um, <laughs> but well, I mean, he was like one of those cargo pilots who you know, had to wear a helmet most of the time, so really couldn't see it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I was going to say he is a cargo pilot, so... Um, you know, it's not like he's a, a uniformed military officer, but still, I'm like, that's kind of a stark contrast to, like, any other guy we've ever seen be part of the Empire. But that's, <laughs> yeah, just a, that's just a small little nitpick. I mean, it doesn't take away from his character or anything. And I think he, um, 
you know, also, you know, definitely becomes a, a likable enough character in his own right, too, where he, um, you know, helps in fulfilling, you know, Galen's mission and as well as sort of finding his own redemption. Um, you know, when he talks about, like Galen said, I could get right by myself if I'm, you know, strong enough or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just a, a great emotional journey that all these characters go on and that even though we only get a brief amount of time with each of them, um, you know, I'm I'm just satisfied with the story that they were able to tell and that, uh, you know, with the, the amount of time that we get to spend with these characters and, uh, you know, just what we get to see them do, so. Yeah, definitely, especially, too, another cool thing about the art book, you definitely see how different these characters turned out to be than what they originally had planned. It was going to be a lot more aliens than uh, just, well, with no aliens, actually, a part of the group. I mean, you see some with the rebels and the battles, but there's going to be like two aliens as part of the main group. And then even Jin, how her story changed, where originally John Knowles pitch was just, she was just a rebel general, a rebel leader, not someone, you know, connected uh, with uh, Galen Urso and the Death Star and all that. But it all, this is great insight, you know, how stories change and characters develop into stuff that initially, I mean, that stuff sounds cool already, but then when you see how it develops into what became the movie and how it actually is, you know, better, it's that we get more of emotional investment with the main characters like Jin as far as, you know, her childhood and, you know, being abandoned twice by like her father, her real father, then her surrogate father, and just having that emotional hook then instead of just having her be, you know, a rebel general and like, have a few characters like that because that's how, you know, kind of casting plays that role in the movie. So it's just real interesting and fascinating to see the growth and development that happens with movies and in particular this one with Rogue One and how different it could have been Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting too. I'm thinking like, I, I actually kind of was surprised that they didn't have any aliens as part of the main group, especially when you know with Star Wars Rebels, you've got like Zeb and Hera, um, and even in Battlefront, you know, you've got the option to play yeah. as like so many different alien species as the Rebels. But then, like, it it kind of makes sense because on the one hand, you, I mean, when it's such an emotional movie and especially as such an emotional ending and, you know, none of the main heroes end up making it out alive. Um, that on the one hand, you feel like there, it might be easier to have a more emotional connection to the human characters. Um, but then I'm like, well, you can have emotional connections to the aliens too, but I feel like if, you know, if an alien character were to have like a, a really sad traumatic death scene, either we wouldn't be invested enough or we would be, too invested so like case in point if jar jar binks had been killed off in the phantom menace nobody would have cared or actually a lot of people probably would have cheered um some kids would have been sad my eight-year-old self included but it's like you know he's not the one that you're really rooting for on the other hand if chewie had been killed off in a new hope we all would have been traumatized for life so (laughs) you know maybe that was a smart decision on their part yeah, that's true. I know. But the only one alien I think who was part supposed to be part of the main group who made it into the movie was Morif, the the big white furry monster you see on Jeddah. Oh, was okay. part of Saw's group. He was supposed to be like one of the main characters as part of the Rogue One team, but like as always, never let a good design go to waste. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Some other aspects, and because so. you know what, I think as a background character, his his design is really cool. But I think if he were part of the main group, it would have been like too obvious like oh you know star wars tropes we have to have a chewbacca type character yeah that's true yeah Just, so it all worked out in the end for i think the right decisions were made <laughs> yeah yeah i think so too um 
so yeah i mean great job on rogue one like i said it just gets better every time i watch it um there was an article that came out uh, from Empire Magazine. They uh, did an interview with Gareth Edwards, and uh, this is called 13 Revelations from, from director Gareth Edwards. And some, there's some interesting little tidbits in here. Um, I won't go through all of them. Some of them are kind of obvious. Like, number one, it says directing Rogue One was like going back to childhood. It's like, well, duh, that would that's what it would be like for anybody who grew up with Star Wars. That's not really a revelation. Um, but I think two of the main things that we took out of well actually so for one thing um the the third item on here it says there was a crawl in the script's first draft um and that gareth edwards was actually kind of initially against taking it out um yeah, so it was, it was kind probably, of bummed when they told <laughs> yeah um but you know i kind of like i don't know i i kind of like that it doesn't um although i'm not super opinionated about it one way or the other um because like we had talked about before i thought it would have been cool if they found a way to do some different sort of thing in the style of the crawl where it would be you know some sort of intro that opens up all the uh spin-off films but obviously they didn't do that either um but i don't mind them just doing something new with this one um so you know i kind of like that it doesn't but if it had a crawl i don't think that would have ruined it for me either so exactly yeah um but let's see what were the others well the one i thought was cool was where you know he shot peter jackson an email saying hey we're about to shoot the darth vader scene right now yeah i come down <laughs> he's like i'll be there in a half hour yeah <laughs> this is like, again i wanted to see man how awesome must that have been because you know peter jackson's a big star wars fan too to see that moment with vader being filmed oh that had to be so cool <laughs> yeah well you know on the one hand like i would have loved to be there to see that filmed on the other hand i'm glad i saw it for the first time in the theater um true but yeah if you were gonna get an invitation to see a darth vader scene be filmed yeah i wouldn't complain afterwards <laughs> oh obviously yeah i mean if gareth edwards shot me that email from london i would be like i'm on the next flight out yep. um <laughs> can you guys hold off for 12 hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah, it's funny because as I've been saying, like I think I've almost enjoyed every subsequent viewing of Rogue One like more than the previous one. The one thing that doesn't get better is the Vader scene because that will never be as awesome as the first time I saw it and didn't know it was coming. And you know, it was I mean, I still love it every time, obviously, but it's just yeah, I know what you mean. You know, yeah, it, it's it was just that it's special not surprise, that special feeling. Yeah, exactly. Wow of not knowing what's about to happen and then yeah. seeing that red lightsaber ignite and being like, Oh, I know what's about to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, that was awesome. Um, but then, Oh, okay. So I think th there were two things kind of towards the bottom of the list. One is he talks about, um, all the, the stuff that got cut out of the movie, which obviously we've talked about a lot. The, you know, all the footage that's uh, in the trailers that didn't end up making it into, uh, the final cut of the movie. And he says, um, well, actually, this is just from the article, but there's some quotes from him in here. Um, but it says, there was a bit of a process refining the third act in terms of the specific shots and moments, so certain things just fell away. Uh, but then what happens is marketing... Oh, actually, I guess this is all just a quote from him. Uh, it says, but then what happens is marketing love those shots and go, oh, we've got to use that. And you say, well, it's not in the movie. And they say, it's okay, that's what marketing does. We just use the best of whatever you've got. And so there's lots of little things, but towards the end you go, I know that's not in the film, but the spirit of it is in the film. Um, 
So yeah, and that's exactly what I, like annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, and I mean the example that they use just as a picture here, and I think it's pretty fitting, is you know the shot that was in one of the trailers of Jin walking towards the end of that uh, catwalk up at the top of the communications tower when she's got to like readjust the satellite dish or something, and she's walking towards this console at the end and a TIE fighter rises up right in front of her. Um, and in the final movie, that shot wasn't in there with the TIE fighter rising up right in front. She gets to the end of the platform. She realigns the thing. And then as she's walking back, a TIE striker flies overhead and strafes the platform and it starts falling apart and she's got to scramble to stay on there and not fall to her death. So there is still sort of a confrontation on that catwalk involving Jin and a TIE fighter and her trying to get to that console, but it's just, you know, not what they you know not the uh, the version of it that they went with in the trailer so it's like the spirit of that is kind of still there but as far as the actual shot it's like hey where did that go yeah i do like the fact though that you know gareth edwards was telling them you know this isn't in the movie right so maybe you shouldn't be using this so it's like the marketing department's eh, we don't care <laughs> yeah like you said it's the spirit of it it looks good so my annoyance is going more towards the marketing team than anyone else so i'm just glad gareth edwards was kind of you know saying what I've been saying, like, you know, you guys, this isn't in it. Maybe you shouldn't be <laughs> using that and all that, but uh, two separate, you know, divisions amongst the companies as far as they want to market things and how they make the movie. So they're always going to have their own different ways of doing things. And I, I guess one doesn't have say over, well, when they're making the movie, obviously Garrett Edwards, that's the final say, but when it comes to marketing, they have their own people to make those final decisions so yeah he's I'm, not the one cutting yeah, the trailers while he's that. also editing the movie so exactly so um so i'll be annoyed at them <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean it is slightly annoying but again for me that didn't really take away from the experience of, of watching the movie itself because i think you kind of just gotta judge the movie on its own merits and not um you know be like hey this doesn't make sense within the story because there was a shot in the trailer that you know where something else happened yeah, um, that sense of disappointment when it's not there. I mean, that's something yeah. that gets better when you see it more and more times. But like, especially on the first viewing, when you you're so excited to see something that's not there, like you can't help but be be a little bummed and go, "Oh man, like it would have been so cool if it was there." Yeah, but like you said, it is nice to know that Gareth Edwards isn't the one who betrayed you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's also a, a snippet in here where he's talking about just the process of. Um, sort of the end of the movie and what happens to all the characters um, at the end. And just that he was surprised that they actually were allowed to have all the characters die. Um, and he says, I think there was an early version where they didn't die in the screenplay and it was just assumed by us that we couldn't do that. They're not going to let us kill everyone. So let's try and figure it out how this ends where that doesn't happen. Um, and then everyone read that and there was just this feeling of they've got to die, right? Can we? And Kathleen Kennedy and everyone at Disney were like, yeah, it makes sense. I guess they have to because they're not in a new hope. And so from that point on, we had the license. Um, then I kept waiting for someone to go, you know what? Could we just film an extra scene where we see Jin and Cassian? They're okay. They're on another planet and la la la. And it <laughs> never came and no one ever gave us that note. And so we got to do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously I think that was a smart decision like and sure i mean they maybe could have worked in a way where one or two characters could have survived like you know we speculated about that endlessly before the movie came out about you know would they all die or would one of them survive or something but i don't think there was ever a question for me about like oh they can't kill off all the characters just because it's disney um i think disney has already done a, a 
good job establishing that um I mean it seems like they do a pretty good job of letting you know Kathleen Kennedy and the story group at Lucasfilm and all those people kind of do their own thing um and they've kind of done the same thing with Marvel too like you don't watch Marvel movies now and go oh this feels like a Disney movie like this could have been a really cool comic book story, but they, you know, had to water it down for kids and that sort of thing. Um, and I know there was a lot of fear from, you know, certain fans when Disney bought Star Wars. That, oh, it's going to be Disney-fied now. It's going to be for kids. It's going to be Mickey Mouse running around with a lightsaber, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> no, it's still so far feels like the Star Wars we all know and love. Um, in fact, you know, <laughs> pretty much the main criticism, if any, is that sometimes it feels too much like the Star Wars <laughs> that we already know true. and love and that we want to see something different. But... Uh, this is certainly something different for them to have a movie where all the main characters die, you know, in the same story. So, um, yeah, it was never really a question in my mind of whether or not Disney would let them do that. It was just about, you know, sort of whether, I don't know, whether that was going to fit for this story. And, you know, you might think that's dark for a Disney movie, but it's kind of dark for a Star Wars movie, too. Um Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars, even though we've got some dark moments, like, at the end of the day, Star Wars has always kind of been this uplifting message of hope and, you know, good overthrowing evil and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, Disney or not, I was just like, are they going to have a Star Wars movie where all the main characters die? Like, you know, little kids are going to go see this and dress up as Jin for Halloween. Are they really just going to wipe her out? Well, sure enough, they did. Um yeah, I've seen a lot of reactions on Twitter from people who kind of didn't see it right away. Just like say, this saw Rogue One. Like, no one told me I was going to be crying my eyes out by the end of the movie. <laughs> so it's definitely, you know, not, people going in aren't expecting to have every main character be killed off in that. So, yeah, it's definitely unprecedented. Like, is that just even for a Star Wars movie? Yeah. In fact, it was funny. One of the times, I think maybe it was my second time that I went to go see it. I was sitting next to this woman who... I mean, this this poor woman obviously, just like that, didn't expect most or any of the, the main characters to die. Because every time somebody died, she'd be like, oh, no, oh, what? Oh, you know, it was being all sad and, like, shocked. And I was like, oh, you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> um so, yeah, I mean, it definitely is, is something different. And, I mean, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm glad they killed them all. Ha <laughs> ha, dark, gritty, you know, all the good guys die. But, you know, I, I think just it's an interesting um, story choice. I like it just because it fits the tone of the movie. And like you said, it's, it really um, just adds to the, the, the stakes and the weight and, you know, the emotion of what they're fighting for and... Uh, gives them all it, it gives weight to their sacrifice like you really feel like um yeah because when you see the battle of, at least for me when i watch the battle of yavin again i mean maybe not for luke since he wasn't part of that first battle knew didn't know exactly what happened but like red leader all the other uh fighter pilots that were maybe part of that first battle they knew the sacrifice that was made to get these plans so let's finish the job and honor their sacrifice let's make sure we blow up this death star and Fortunately, most of them didn't survive the Battle of Yavin either, but mm -hmm. just that sense of, you know, let's, even though they don't say it or anything, you just know now that you have the history of that, let's make sure we finish what Rogue One started with uh, stealing these plans. So, yeah, it just makes that that battle even more special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, we've said this before, but Rogue One just nails all the right emotional beats. 
Um, and just, you know, going back to the soundtrack too, I mean, the, I think probably my favorite track on the whole soundtrack is, um, the one called your father would be proud yep, mine and too. it's, yeah. And it's the, the track that plays over the last few minutes and it's just perfect. Um, yeah. I even said this on our review episode too, but how awesome is that? I just love it. One of my favorite parts of the movies is Darth Vader. When you see him looking out in this battle, mm-hmm. that beautiful piece of music that's playing there it just goes perfect with like the somber atmosphere it's creating there with Vader's presence. Yeah. There. It's just so, so good. I think I'm at the point now where like, I think that's my second favorite part of the movie, like in terms of just like small moments or specific shots, or whatever. I mean, obviously my favorite part is still the, the moment at the end where you see him, tearing up the rebels in the corridor as they're trying to escape with the death star plans but yeah that moment where he jumps out of hyperspace and you know and then yeah just that shot of him standing on the bridge watching the battle and the music playing in the background because they easily could have just transitioned to the imperial march right there as his star destroyer jumps out of hyperspace um because the you know the action that's going on screen totally fits a more sort of uh, you know, dark and urgent, you know, type of music, but the just the juxtaposition of it is so beautiful and so I don't know. There's such, something fascinating about it to me. Like I could just watch that scene and listen to that music like all day, um, and also kind of um, you know similar to that too. The scene on Jeddah where Jin is watching the message from her father and getting all emotional and it, you know him talking about the Death Star plans and how to blow up the reactor and stuff is juxtaposed with the shots of scare of um of the Death Star over Jeddah getting ready to blow it up and you know again not having this dark imposing you know imperial march type music as the the death star is about to wipe out millions of people in the city but instead it's still just that sort of you know melancholy like emotional kind of music and the the juxtaposition of that with just the sort of the shocking imagery of it is i don't know it's fantastic nope couldn't agree with you more on that yeah this did a perfect job on this hitting you right where it needs to in those big emotional moments there yeah um i don't even remember what we were talking about before that but that was <laughs> oh we'll just talk about you know the the emotion we were talking about emotional impact and i forget what we were talking about before that but yeah yeah just, yeah just talking about the soundtrack mm-hmm. and then going into what your favorite track was well i think we might have also been talking about just the characters and their sacrifice oh that's what it was yeah we were talking about the fact that they killed off all the characters um but yeah, so like I said, obviously just the the weight of the death scenes and the accompanying music and all that stuff was just really, really well done. You know what? I feel we should give a shout out too because as awesome as we know that Darth Vader scene is because of Vader, what makes it even more, what makes it great is the actors who portray those rebel soldiers and the fear and terror they had on their mm. faces and just how... They scream out like you know, like take it, take it. It's like push it. <laughs> when you're like telling them to launch the blockade runner from the other ship. I mean, this they did a great job of you know really capturing how fearful being in that moment would be when you see Vader looming right there. So they help make that scene as great as it is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And man, I don't know what it would be like to be a rebel soldier in that situation. Yeah, like, no, what could you do? <laughs> I yeah, I mean, especially the one. 
by the door trying to get it open. <laughs> you're just seeing those people getting mowed down, and you're trying your hardest to get that door open, and then you just come to the realization, it ain't opening. I just got to hand the plans off to the next guy on the other side. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, too. I mean, you got to realize... Obviously, when Vader walks into a room, we know exactly what to expect as fans. But, you know, for these guys, like, even during the Clone Wars, a lot of people in the galaxy didn't know that much about the Jedi. But especially if some of these soldiers are, like, younger and were born, like, you know, during the Clone Wars or were, like, kids during it, they've probably never seen a Jedi in action before. Yeah. Um, even the ones who have been around a while, you know, they've most of them it's highly unlikely that they've ever actually seen a jedi or a sith lord in battle before and so it's probably this mixture of like terror and you know almost like a little bit of bravery at the same time like especially when they're all you know crouched like in their firing squad position and the the commander guy yells open fire like like they're scared because again, they they don't know what to expect you know, Vader's there in the dark at the end of this corridor. They hear the breathing. They see the lightsaber light up. And it's just kind of like, well, crap, that can't, that can't be good. But let's shoot at this guy and see what happens. Whereas, you know, I'm sure you and I have gotten just killed by people playing as Vader in Battlefront enough times to know that, like, if I were in that situation, I would have <laughs> just sure. pulled a Jar Jar and been like, my give up, my <laughs> give up. <laughs> like, I'd rather just let him walk up and cut me in half than have my own blaster bolt come back and hit me in the face because that would just be even more humiliating <laughs> i don't know they both seem pretty bad ways to go <laughs> that guy who was hanging on the ceiling up there just to be yeah well out. okay i don't want to do that but you know <laughs> like i i don't know that i even would have tried if i had known you know who vader was and what he could do like yeah. well that's gotta suck yeah. for that guy because he's probably thinking he's up there and he walks past him oh maybe i'm safe now he walked right past nope. <laughs> yeah i'll play dead <laughs> nope that didn't work <laughs> Oh so yeah, those guys, those rebel soldiers helped make that scene even, you know, capture that fear element that you know, people compare it to like a horror type scene, and it really did have that feel. And it was thanks to all those soldiers and their facial and screams that they were able to give off when Vader entered that room. So mm -hmm. good. Yeah, and man, to think that you know all of a new hope even hinged on those guys too, like. Yeah, that's the fact that yeah. Vader very well could have just cut down all those guys in that room. Like if the door had closed all the way, Luke never would have blown up the Death Star. Nope. Yeah, those, those little things <laughs> that mm -hmm. can change the galaxy forever. Yeah. But man, oh, that scene is just so good. See, now I do want to go see that again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that I really need an excuse to go see Star Wars again, but um, yeah, oh, just so good. Um, but also, you know, there's a, uh, there was a video on, uh, Nightline where, you know, they did a segment on the special effects of Rogue One and, um, went and interviewed John Nolan, the guys at ILM about how they created, uh, you know, the digital faces of like Tarkin and Leia and, uh, did that whole process. So, um, I mean, if you're interested in that, we've got a link to it. I know on our Twitter page and our website and everything, um, but kind of cool seeing, uh, how they're going into that process. Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's sort of an interesting thing. Like, there's kind of already been a little bit of controversy with, you know, some people apparently, you know, questioning sort of the ethics of doing that um, and, and bringing back, you know, past actors. And, uh, you know, one thing that we didn't mention earlier um, when talking about Carrie Fisher is that apparently um, Lucasfilm is going to have a meeting like sometime this month to discuss, uh, you know, sort of how they go forward with from here with Leia's story in the future movies. 
Um, and, you know, obviously they've already filmed all her stuff for episode eight, but apparently she was supposed to have an even bigger role in episode nine. And, you know, obviously that's going to be hard to do now, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, on, on the one hand, you think like, well, this did just happen to happen. Or, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It happened to happen. Um, right after, you know, a movie comes out where they recreated a digital Leia, but I'm sure, you know, myself and a lot of other people definitely don't want to see them just create like a digital puppet Leia and have her do whatever she was going to do in episode nine. Like, especially when it's that recent, um, you know, you can't, like, I definitely don't want to see us get to a point with technology where we do things just because we can and sort of ignore the human element of, you know, just these performances and, you know, sort of respecting the fact that there are actual people, you know, behind uh, behind these characters that you see on screen. Um, and I definitely don't think they're going to do that. Like, I don't think they're just going to, you know, they're getting together to plan out, okay, how extensively can we use cgi and just you know act like carrie fisher never died and have leia still be a main player in episode nine obviously they've got to alter her story somehow and i don't i don't know how they're gonna i mean i would assume they're gonna write her out of the story in episode nine that that'll be you know i mean who knows if we'll ever see you know luke or any of the original characters in uh any possible future saga films beyond episode nine but i think it's pretty safe to say that this is the last one that we're gonna see um leia in um, I mean, aside from, you know, possible like spinoff movies about a young Leia or something like that. But, um, you know, the question of like, how do you, how do you sort of end her storyline and alter it from whatever it was going to be originally? Um, you know, I'm glad I'm not the one that has to make those decisions, but. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, it's so tough because, yeah, you want to do something that is right for the story, but yet honor carrie fisher as well and yeah for princess leia for episode nine it's like she's too big of a character like i don't see them writing her out as far as saying like kill her off on screen i don't think they'll do that because her character is way too big for you know just to have like a simple line of dialogue saying oh unfortunately princess leia is no longer with us oh like, absolutely yeah no she happen. has to be in the movie in some way yeah and yeah but at the same time too like if they don't want to do that but yet they don't want to have her in the movie too it's just going to be a really curious how they're going to pull that off and well here's if... the thing i and when i say i don't want to see them use the the digital stuff like i mean i think they're going to have to do that in some way i just don't want the, what i'm saying is i don't want them to use the cgi to just you know replace carrie fisher completely and carry on as if she didn't die i i think the Probably the best example you can look at um, in terms of like a way to sort of do this properly is what they did in uh, the Fast and Furious 7, I guess. Yeah, the last one was 7. The eighth one's coming out. Um, when Paul Walker died, and that was a little bit different scenario because he had already filmed a lot of stuff for the movie. And so they were able to sort of just alter the ending and, um, you know, he had brothers that they could use for stand-ins and they also did you know, some digital, you know, CGI, like recreating his face over other, you know, stand-in actors and stuff. Um, but, you know, they, they wrote him out at the end where he, uh, 
you know, they're just driving down a road and his car kind of peels off and goes off on his own direction. But they also did sort of a, a little tribute montage showing, you know, a lot of his his moments over the past movies and stuff. I don't know if they'll do that with Star Wars necessarily. Like, I don't think that would fit as well to have, you know, show a bunch of old footage of the original trilogy of, um, you know, Leia and stuff that might feel a little bit out of place. But to do something where you know, come up with a way to involve her in the story a little bit. I mean, obviously, like I said, it's it can't be as big of a role as they were initially planning on, especially if she was supposed to have a really big part in Episode Nine, like some of the rumors we've heard are suggesting. Um, but I think if they, you know, if they use archival footage of her or do, a, you know, create her through CGI or have a, a stand-in actress or whatever they got to do to have her in the movie at least a little bit so that it's not like oh yeah like you said you can't just write Leia out with a line of dialogue or have her you know die off screen or say she just retired and disappeared and she's you know hanging out by the lake on Naboo where her mom wanted to go back to you know like you can't yeah she's way too big of a character for you to just take her out of the story completely um so I think there's just a really delicate balance that they're going to have to find of using whatever means they have to, whether that's, you know, like I said, CGI or any of these other ways to include her in the story to some degree, just so that it makes sense and that they can continue the the story of the movies and, you know, continuing on from wherever episode eight late leaves off and all that sort of thing. But then at the same time, put some kind of, you know, tie her storyline up neatly, you know, wrap it with a bow and kind of have it be her send off. Um, and I don't know what that's going to be. Um, and that's why I'm saying like whatever way they have to decide to, to end her story in this movie, like, I don't know if she's gonna, you know, she could get killed off or she could, you know, retire or disappear or whatever. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's like I said, I'm glad I'm not the one in charge of making that decision because I'm sure it's going to be really hard, but, um, yeah, I know. Well, in that uh, report about that meeting that Lucasfilm was having, uh, there was a piece in there where it says, not to go into spoilers, those who don't want to know, because regarding Episode 8, as far as some of the characters she will uh, interact with in Episode 8, and I was talking through Facebook with Michael Cohen about this, when, about this article, where a possible thing they could do, I mean, depending on how our story goes in Episode 8, what if they trim some of that not have her as much in episode eight and use some of that for episode nine. If it's mm -hmm. something that has some type of closure for a character where they can save it for episode nine, if that is going to be the last of the Skywalker saga film. So to me, that sounds like could be one of the better ways to do it. I mean, it all depends on the story. We don't know what it's going to be where they hold off on some of the episode eight stuff and use it for episode nine. If it does fit in a narrative sense. So, yeah. Or even, I mean, they've still got, a year almost before episode eight comes out, you know, they could alter it so that they could just end her storyline in episode eight as well. Um, but it does say, and this is, you know, a report from a Hollywood reporter. And um, it said that uh, Colin Trevorrow was going to be meeting with Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm to, um, you know, weigh the, the story options and stuff. So, I mean, I'm, even though it doesn't specifically mention Ryan Johnson, I was, I would imagine that he was, in on that meeting as well, or yeah, at least definitely. privy to the inform, you know, to, to the discussions that went on. Um, cause I think that certainly is one option. 
Um, because I would also hate to see them, you know, sort of weaken episode eight to just try to stretch Leia's story over two movies because you might have to then come up with, you know, more filler stuff to, to fill in the gaps in episode eight and, um, you know, make that story long enough or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're, what they're working on or what the plan is or the story is already. Um, but it might be easier to just wrap her story up in episode eight than to, try to carry on carry it on into episode nine but also like you said if they've got enough story material they could just take stuff that they use for episode seven and and or for episode eight and stretch that into episode nine as well so um man yeah just i mean whatever they end up doing i just have to trust that these guys are gonna um you know make the the best decision and do i mean it like i said they got to strike a really delicate balance between um paying tribute to Carrie Fisher and, and not, um, you know, not being insensitive, not, you know, like I said, overdoing it with the CGI and the technology and acting like she's still there. Um, at the same time, you, you want to still have focus on the story. I mean, it's still a movie. You can't have the whole thing be just like a Leia tribute video. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, you, you want to have the movie also make sense. Um, you know, especially for Lucasfilm and Disney, it's like, this is you know a business and they want to make a good movie and they're still going to want to you know make money off of it. And you can't just like, you know, they can't chop the story up into pieces and, and have a movie full of plot holes and inconsistencies just to try to take care of Leia's storyline. Cause you know, that doesn't really help anybody either. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a really tricky balance, I'm sure. Um, yeah, but I will say this though: there's no one I'd rather have be in charge of making this decision than the guys, the folks at Lucasfilm with Kathleen Kennedy in charge and the story group and yeah. the directors and writers they have for these movies. So absolutely, if anyone's going to figure out a great way to make it all work, it's going to be them. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I'm, I mean, I'm slightly worried about it, but only because just of the situation that they're in and yeah. that you know it's going to be a very hard it's going to be hard to find a, a, the delicate balance between all those things and hard to just sort of pull it off you know logistically and technologically and ethically and all that kind of stuff but i yeah i'm not worried about the people involved that they're going to um you know make the wrong decision or anything like that um yeah i definitely think um you know that that we have a, a great group of people who you know care about the industry care about their fans care about the story care about carrie fisher obviously um that are gonna you know do their best to uh to do the right thing here yep yeah just unfortunate that they have to be in this situation now unfortunately that is reality you know where you just can't be excited about these new movies coming out but now you got uh, to deal with this sadness and aspect of it too so yeah just kind of a bummer now that it just won't be all excitement for episode eight and nine but have this little lingering you know uh i don't want to call it black color but just, yeah just like a sadness over it now of knowing what it's gonna entail also mm -hmm. yeah and i can bet you like we're gonna hear a lot about this leading up to episode eight as well um yeah definitely i mean i'm sure ryan johnson's gonna be asked about it all the time now as far as leading up to it when is going to be interviewed for it so yeah well and but i mean i'm now i'm kind of thinking about like what happened with the dark knight where you know heath ledger died after you know his performance as the joker but before the movie came out and that 
you know, drew so much more attention to it. And I'm not saying that they should use this as a marketing tool or whatever, but I'm just saying that it's sort of inevitable that between people talking about it on the press tour and just, you know, people online who are going to be, you know, I mean, I'm sure even people are going to have emotional reactions, you know, just seeing Leia in the trailers for the movie and all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, this is recent news and people are still talking about it. And a few months from now, people probably won't be talking about it as much. And then a few months later, as we get close to December and the movie's getting ready to come out, it's, you know, probably going to be a, a hot button issue again. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how all that plays out. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm mostly just hoping that it's you know, handled delicately and, and tactfully and just sort of with the best of all possible scenarios in mind. Yeah, like like we said, I, it's in good hands for it to have that effect. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, if we, oh, we went on a whole long tangent from that talking about the the Nightline video about the special effects and all that kind of st- stuff. Um, also, uh, I was just going to mention real quick the box office totals for Rogue One so far. Um, it's sitting at, as of well yesterday, I guess. Uh, the total domestic gross is 481 million, um, and worldwide it's at 918 million. So doing very well, obviously. Um, I think right now it's kind of neck and neck with Finding Dory for being the top-grossing movie released in 2016. But I'm sure by the end of its run, it's gonna take the number one spot easily because it hasn't even been out for a month yet. Um, and then worldwide, yeah, I'm sure it'll also probably you know reach the billion-dollar mark. Um, so like we predicted you know not nearly the numbers that the force awakens had but most movies aren't going to have those numbers um so i think definitely you know not even just respectable numbers but great numbers for uh yeah. for rogue one here because being the first standalone film with the star wars franchise i mean the disney lucasfilm got to be ecstatic that it's so close to a billion now i mean so you can kind of view it as oh it's star wars it's a guaranteed billion that's not always the case for any movie even if it has a star wars yeah Yeah, especially for a standalone movie like this exactly so it's a testament to the film that it's doing really good and that Mm -hmm. audiences are reacting to it in a positive way to keep seeing it again and to have it climb up those numbers yeah absolutely i mean i'm probably not going to see it eight times like i saw the force awakens but um yeah i'll definitely i think see it at least one more time maybe twice we'll see you know what my my final total ends up being but um yeah i I think clearly a uh both commercial and critical success yep it's gonna go down as a massive hit (laughs) yeah um and then so let's talk a little bit uh about star wars rebels um obviously we had a new trailer drop uh over on January fourth, um, yeah, for three, the second it's three weeks after Rogue One's release, how yeah. awesome is that? Yeah, <laughs> new uh, Star Wars movie, bam, new awesome new Rebels trailer. Yeah, and lots of awesome new stuff in there for the second half of season three, and we can get into more of that in a second. But while we're still kind of talking about Rogue One, I wanted to specifically talk about uh, the two most recent episodes that aired um, to kick off the second half of the season, which was the two-parter called Ghosts of Geonosis. Um, And it was cool to see this, you know, tied more or less directly into Rogue One with, um, you know, seeing Saw Gerrera in here. Um, 
but actually, I mean, I loved seeing Saw again, and, you know, it was cool getting to see, you know, his character, and this is like a couple years before Rogue One, um, having him voiced by Forrest Whitaker, but I think maybe the most interesting part about this for me was just sort of this whole mystery of what happened to the Geonosians, what the Empire was doing there on Geonosis, because um, we've heard this referenced, you know, a while ago on Rebels back in, like, season two, and um, like you were saying, it's been referenced in, uh, like, the Vader comics and stuff, and so it's kind of been this ongoing mystery that they've kind of left hanging as to, like, what actually happened to, like, on Geonosis. Um, but I, I love the sort of the ongoing or recurring, um, I don't know, gag or something if you want to call it, but it's just one of those things that has you kind of like biting your nails and on the edge of your seat, which is they meet this Geonosian that uh, Ezra names Click Clack, um, and they're trying to get information out of him as to, you know, what happens to all the Geonosians and what happened with the Empire and stuff, and obviously all he speaks is, you know, Geonosian bug speak and so you know they can't communicate with him so he's just you know trying to do like hand motions and he keeps drawing the death star in the sand he just you know draws like one big circle with a smaller circle inside it and they're all assuming oh that must be the planet with the ring around it or oh that must be this gene ocean queen egg and then at the end they find these big gas canisters that they find out is what the empire used to exterminate practically all the gene oceans um, and it's this big round canister with a round Imperial logo in the middle. And so for the ghost crew, that kind of settles it. I think it's Rex who goes like, oh, this must be what he was drawing. The, you know, that he, he was drawing the gas canisters and trying to tell us what happened to, to wipe out um, all the Geonosians. But especially after having, you know, just recently seen Rogue One multiple times, like every time he drew that, I'm like, no, he's trying to tell you something. <laughs> I know you just don't see it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that was a really cool tie-in, and especially um, it was interesting. I think this is mentioned in both the visual guide and um, they talked about it in the Rebels Recon video. That yeah, the Empire had been constructing the Death Star over Geonosis, um, and but that it was actually Saw Gerrera who was following clues, and he didn't really know what he was looking for. In a sense, like, he, he didn't know specifically that the Empire had the Death Star or even, you know, like, a massive super weapon or battle station. He just had a feeling that they were up to something terrible and kept following all these clues that might lead him to it, even though he didn't know what they were leading to. But he got close enough that he kind of spooked the Empire and they were like, okay, this guy's getting too close, you know. And, and I didn't realize, I guess, that they were trying to keep this thing such a massive secret because... I mean, you know, again, it's the size of a moon. Like, you figure somebody's going to notice it. But, you know, apparently, like, nobody really knew about this thing. So, um, I mean, aside from, you know, the Imperial officers and everybody on the Star Destroyers that were floating above it and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, apparently Saw got close enough that they were like, okay, time to move from Geonosis. And they moved it to Scarif to finish construction there. And... Uh, you know, then they were like, well, we can't leave any evidence behind or, you know, any witnesses or anything. So that's when they just decided to, you know, wipe out all the Geonosians. Um, so, you know, some interesting, you know, additional backstory just on the, the creation of the Death Star and all that kind of stuff there. So those are some cool episodes. Yeah, I'll just add to it, even as the stuff in that we learned in Catalyst, too, with the, the Geonosians and their involvement in the Death Star. So it is all 
ties in and connects like you hope it would with the yeah. this new era of Star Wars with all the books and comics and everything all, everything just being one canon story it's stuff like this is when it really gets you excited and know that it's working as you would hope it would be when all these things line up and uh, just like for the episode where it was a great tie-in like I said to Rogue One obviously with Saw Gerrera but even just with Clone Wars and the prequel era with uh, getting references you know to Saw's time there and how you know it kind of fueled him to how he became the extremist we saw in or we heard about in Rogue One we didn't really see him do too many extreme stuff personally except you know use the pork gullet well on Bodhi, on Bodhi but you see it in this episode where you know he torches click clack this you know trying to get that information shocking him and you know he harkens back to his time in Clone Wars of losing Stila his sister and losing his planet to the Empire afterwards they might not be you know good enough reasons to do that but it explains where he's coming from and for those of us who seen his first appearance in those honor on episodes we know exactly what it means and it just adds to his character which Again, I'm so glad they decided to use an existing character in Rogue One and Saw Gerrera. It just mm-hmm. really just adds to that, like I just said before, that whole connective tissue of everything being tied together in the Star Wars universe. So this these two-part episodes of Rebels just added to that and just really filled the gap in nicely from Saw we saw in Clone Wars and then what we see him in Rogue One. They just did a really great job. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, even though he might not have had the most you know, exciting or memorable or whatever appearance in Rogue One. I think just the fact that we have this character now who just sort of, you know, isn't really a main character in any of these stories, but just sort of keeps popping up in Clone Wars and Rebels and, you know, now in a live action movie. I think that's just really cool to, um, you know, like you said, it's, it's connective tissue that makes this feel like one big connected story and connected universe and i think it's you know just really cool to see that i also like to kind of hint it a little bit as far as you know we we know eventually he's gonna leave the rebellion and just have his own uh, group of rebels on Jeddah. but just the fact that he was kind of alluding to where he's telling him you know most of the rebellion probably doesn't want to admit it but we are in a war you know mm-hmm. he already knows that the rebellion isn't thinking how we thinks they should be dealing with the empire so little things like that just add into when mon mothma says you know he's no longer with us he's caused issues for us which and we still don't know what exactly happened to make him break off in the rebellion completely but again it laid those foundations here in this episode which was cool yeah i i hope we're gonna get to see him again on rebels i think we will um but I don't know if this was maybe just like kind of a one-off thing to to tie into Rogue One right after that release. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, I don't think Saw's story is done yet. I mean, it's done chronologically. Like, he's dead after Rogue One. But, I mean, I think we're still going to get more stories, like, set during that time period that involve him. Um, especially, I want to know, like, what happens where, like, yeah, like you said, where he gets sort of cut off from the rest of the Rebellion, but also where he loses his leg um and you know develops all these health problems and stuff although one thing i thought was really cool um you know reading the visual guide last night just a couple days after having watched these episodes um and it's got a picture of i don't know if this was ever actually in the movie or not or if it was just kind of like in the background but um talking about like this chair that he's got that's kind of like a medical diagnostic station that he keeps having to go to to you know sort of recuperate um but it talks specifically about this, this pressurized you know lung pump sort of thing that is pumping 
Gene Ocean toxins or insecticides out of his lungs. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just saw those episodes <laughs> and he was on Geonosis where the Empire had used basically giant cans of bug spray and wiped out all the Geonosians and that's what's <laughs> poisoning his lungs and that's why he needs that breather thing. Yeah, I remember reading that in the visual guide too before I saw the episode. Like, oh, that's going to be awesome to see them allude to that in the actual episodes. But they didn't. But knowing that, you can kind of put it together yourself mm -hmm. if you read the visual guide and know that's what happened. And who knows? Maybe he'll go back there again for some other reasons. Maybe he needs more information from Click Clack and he decides to go back. So, yeah, to get him further exposed. But I just thought, like you said, that was a cool little way to explain you know why he needs that breather in rogue one even though they don't necessarily say it just, just good to have that knowledge yeah and i think i probably would have been more disappointed if i had read that in the visual guide first because yeah like you i probably would have been expecting a more like direct reference to it um but just after the like reading the visual guide after the fact it was just cool to see like oh even though we didn't directly see it in the episode like that is, you know, the cause of his his problems. And even though they didn't mention it in there, it's like, yeah, there's probably still some of that stuff floating around in the air. Um, and sure. hopefully, you know, Kanan and Ezra didn't get poisoned by it too, but saw, you know, presumably was there for a lot longer than they were. So exactly. Um, yeah. as for right now, that's just going to be my reasoning for it. And like you said, he could have gone there, you know, he could have been there multiple times. He could have, maybe this wasn't his first visit to Geonosis, or maybe he comes back sometime afterwards. Um but, you know, at least for now, I think it's plausible enough to just say, like, we don't know how long his rebel team was there for. Um, but obviously it was long enough that they went there. They, you know, and, and the rebels wouldn't have assumed that they just went missing right immediately afterwards. It's like they got there and then enough time passed that the rebel leadership had to be like, uh, hey, nobody's heard from Saw in a while. Maybe we should get another team to go find out what happened. Um, I do. I also love the fact that Rex... Just seeing him and Rex interact together was great too, but that Rex was involved in the early stages of this mission as far as, you know, giving, I don't know if he directly gave Saul the assignment or recommended it, but knowing that he was involved and having Saul be the one to go into Geonosis and then seeing them reunite was really cool to see too. Yeah. That more of that Clone Wars history, that great history. Yeah, definitely. Especially because, you know, Rex also made a, a subtle mention to Anakin Skywalker in there yeah, too. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, which even though, you know, just like, it was Kanan jumping across a chasm and Rex goes, you know, oh yeah, he's no Skywalker, which is something you would kind of expect Rex to say anyways, but it just adds, you know, a, a teeny bit of extra context to that, knowing that, you know, he's talking to Saw, who also has seen Anakin in action, so. Exactly. Yeah, like some of the references that Saw was made in this episode was the stuff I was hoping he'd make in Rogue One, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it would have been awesome to hear him say that stuff in Rogue One, but it probably would have flew over most of the audience's head not seeing the Clone Wars, so I do yeah. understand why they would save it for an episode of Rebels. Because, yeah, it's all part of the same canon, like we said, so it's all still there, but it just would have been a little extra special to hear it in a live-action movie. But mm -hmm. it's cool that we still got those references and callback, with Forrest Whitaker still saying it, too, which is awesome that they got back to still do the voice of Saw Gerrera. And he seems like he's all for playing this character whenever they ask him, which makes me think, you know, if they do want to use him again, I would like to believe that Saw or Forrest Whitaker would have no problem voicing him again. He seems to really love the character and just glad and happy to be involved with it. So it's great all the way around <laughs> yeah. that everyone's so eager and happy to tell more stories with these characters. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, now, let's talk about the rest of that Star Wars Rebels Season 3 mid-season trailer. Um, I mean, we don't have to go through it shot by shot or anything, but just some really cool standout moments in here. Um, I mean, obviously there was you know some stuff that we've already seen now from the Geonosis episodes, but also lots of stuff dealing with uh, Sabine and the Mandalorians and the fact that she has the Darksaber now and seems like she's going to kind of try to use that to you know rally her people to fight, you know, help in the fight against the Empire. Um, we've got a lot more stuff with Thrawn and his, uh, you know, new TIE Defenders that he's working on. And there's even like a cool looking scene where um, you see Thrawn looks like he's just like sparring with some like imperial you know battle droids or whatever um which makes you wonder like oh maybe he's not just gonna be like the the military tactician guy you know doing his fighting from the bridge of a star destroyer but you know maybe we'll actually see him like in a, a scrap with you know the our, our rebel heroes um we see a shot of thrawn with uh death troopers oh yes we did <laughs> yeah oh, which uh I, i'm sure you're just bummed that we gotta see more of those guys right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i stopped the trailer <laughs> um you know what you know we know what happens at the end of the trailer we'll get into that but i will say seeing the death troopers in this trailer was the most surprising to me because we from one episodes with Maul, we knew what was that was eventually going to happen. It was just cool to see, no doubt. But seeing those Death Troopers in animation, I was not expecting that, and I'm just so ecstatic that Rogue One is the only thing I'm going to be seeing them uh, in. Because at first we thought they were just Krennic's personal bodyguard, but when you look in the visual guide, it explains you know they're actually uh, bodyguards for a lot of different high-ranking Imperial officers within that. Uh, like a weapons research division. I don't know. If, I don't think that's the exact term, but somewhere in that field that Krennic was. So it makes sense that, you know, they would be there for uh, Thrawn too. And the fact that we're going to see him is just amazing. I hope we still hear the voices that they had in Rogue One. You know, Matt Wood does the sound for Rebels also. So it makes me think that we will hear that and more of them in action. <laughs> just showing why so far they're the best troopers in the Empire right now. So yeah, I can't wait to see them. And hopefully they're not just using those guards to stand around with Thrawn and all that but hopefully we get to see him in action again too but that was a yeah. more than welcome surprise to get in this trailer yeah well I mean on the one hand it would be cool to see them in action again but at the same time like I highly doubt they're going to let the death troopers kill off as many characters as many main characters in a kids animated show on Disney XD as they did in Rogue One yeah not that way they can get a few shots in there though just take out yeah. one or two. That'd be fine. I, don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe if there's actually like an actual, you know, skirmish with some rebel ground soldiers, uh, you know, they might take out a bunch of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not expecting to take out any one of the ghost crew. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was definitely, you know, cool to see. And again, you know, you talked about that connective tissue, just, you know, the fact that we see it in rogue one and now we're immediately seeing it in rebels and, um, you know, Dave Filoni has talked in interviews about just sort of the, the collaboration there between, um, you know, all the creative people in, at Lucasfilm and the fact that he just, you know, has access to be able to you know, walk into the next room and, and talk to Ryan Johnson or J.J. Or Abrams and, you know, talk about what they're doing with their movies and how he can work that into his movie or his, you know, TV series and stuff like that. Um, 
so yeah, just really cool to see all these, you know, elements immediately becoming, you know, shared themes in this universe. You know, the, the fact that you see it in one place and immediately it, it you know, may, just makes sense that it would start popping up in other places, especially when Rebels and Rogue One take place so close around the same time period. Exactly. Um, this just has me wondering what's going to end up happening with Thrawn, though. Um, like... I mean, on the one hand, I feel like they're setting him up to be, you know, sort of the the big bad villain of this season where there's going to be a, cl a climactic confrontation. That, uh, like, are they going to kill off Thrawn at the end of this season? I don't know, yeah, but... I think his, we're only going to see him in Rebels. We'll see him probably die in Rebels. I just don't know if it'll be this season or not. Yeah. Because I could see it does make sense. You know, he's served his purpose for just this one season and that's it, but... I just hope he has one. He has to have a major victory pretty soon to show, you know, why he's feared. I mean, he's been letting the rebels go and have them escape because it's all part of his bigger plan. And I just hope that plan succeeds and whatever it is to cripple them a little bit. Because if he doesn't have at least one big victory on him, he's going to be kind of a letdown where all that was for nothing. He doesn't live up to the reputation that he has. If mm -hmm. They do, in fact, decide to kill him off. So. It looks like that's going to happen, and hopefully it does, just to add more weight to the character. But, yeah, I agree with the question as far as if he's going to survive the season or not. That remains to be seen. i kind of leaning more towards that he's not going to survive. Yeah, I am too. But the thing I was thinking is, I mean, especially after seeing Rogue One, I'm like, okay, obviously we know the Rebels have this huge fleet amassed already. You know, where was all of that during... Uh, you know, the Battle of Yavin. Now, obviously, they, they do sort of explain that in the movie. They talk about how they're only using starfighters because, you know, just all the turbo lasers on the Death Star and stuff would, you know, just tear their capital ships to pieces. But, you know, all the, the starfighters are small enough to avoid that. Um, but still, I mean, the fact, too, that, like, there's no U-Wings, there's no Blue Squadron, which, I mean, most of them didn't make it out of Rogue One alive anyway, but there yeah, were so still <laughs> there were still a few X-Wings from Blue Squadron that didn't make it through the Shield Gate and didn't crash into the Shield Gate and were just, you know, taking part in the space battle. Um, but then even the fact that, you know, you've got the Ghost and you've got Phoenix Squadron and the fact that we, you know, we know they've already got A-Wings at this point. Um, and obviously, I mean, you know, we know that they came up with all this stuff after A New Hope, and so it's not like I'm you know, expecting that that would have been there in 1977, but I, one thing that I was thinking of is like, well, what if Rebels does kind of a parallel storyline where like, while just Red and Gold Squadrons are taking, you know, trying to blow up the Death Star, maybe the rest of the Rebel fleet was engaged with Thrawn's forces, and maybe that's when this mm. other, you know, big battle happens. Because, um, well, okay, so here's the other thing, too. You know, when we when they talk about the, um, the opening crawl of A New Hope and sort of how it relates to Rogue One and how this is, uh, how Rogue One was the first major victory for the Empire, or for the Rebellion, I mean... Um, and even in the, I think it was in the visual guide, they mentioned that, you know, the rebels have won some small skirmishes and, and 
successfully completed some objectives, um, sometimes by questionable methods. So sometimes like, you know, the empire is always trying to cover up the fact that, you know, they got beat in this one situation by these rebels. And sometimes the rebels are trying to cover it up as well to, you know, to sort of keep themselves hidden and discreet. Um, but I'm like it at the end of this season, if there's a big space battle or something and they end up you know, defeating Grand Admiral Thrawn, I would think that would count as a victory for the Rebellion. Um, that's so true, too. Yeah, that's a good point. In that regard, maybe they can't kill him till after when Rogue One takes place. I mean, I doubt they're going to have somebody infiltrate his Star Destroyer and assassinate him. Um, you know, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that yeah. plays out. But just the way that they're slowly building him up this season... Um, you know, the, the way that we've seen just sort of glimpse and glimpses and teases of, of what he maybe is potentially planning. And we've certainly gotten to see, uh, you know, snippets of like what his character is like, but we've really haven't gotten sort of that big reveal yet of like, this is why he's feared. This is exactly, you know, why people know the name Grand Admiral Thrawn, um, and I don't think that's going to happen at the end of this season and then just have him be the main villain for all of next season. Like, that would, I don't know, that, that would just seem weird to me. Especially because every season so far in Rebels has been a different main villain. Yeah. Um, you know, with the Inquisitor and then Vader in season two, even though he was only in, like, two episodes. Um, but still just that that looming threat of knowing he's there. Um, and then, you know, obviously this season with... Uh, both kind of Thrawn and Maul have been kind of the the dual villains, I guess. But Thrawn definitely feels more like the overarching villain of, you know, the, the main season storyline, especially as it pertains to the Rebel Alliance as a whole, whereas Maul has had sort of a more personal storyline with Kanan and Ezra. And now at this point, we obviously know he's uh, got his own motives and isn't really interested in them anymore. Um and with that, let's talk about the end of that trailer where we see an old man sitting by himself on a desert planet at night. Darth Maul comes walking up to him and in like a pitch perfect Alec Guinness voice, it just says, you know, you're in the wrong place. And then we see Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul get their lightsabers out. And it's like, oh, man, it's about to go down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Obi-Wan's in his, still his classic pose ready to fight like he was in episode three. Yeah. General Grievous. I love that. Yeah. Like I said before, you kind of knew it was coming. We got the hints of it. But did that make it any less awesome to see in the trailer? No, it didn't. No, <laughs> it was I was almost amazing. surprised that we saw as much of that as we did in the trailer. Um, yeah, I thought they were we got the tease of him. You know, he had the hood on. He's by the campfire. And then they, you see Maul, and that would have been it. But the fact that we actually see fully animated Obi Wan ready to fight Maul again. Oh man, it was awesome. It's just it's like almost like that Star Wars visionary comic come to life in a way. Sure, it's going to be different than that, but. It's still the same aspect. Darth Maul goes back to Tatooine to finish off Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan, you know, has to face him again. And I just can't help but think of other possibilities of how that confrontation can play out. Because part of me thinks Maul goes there, obviously, for Obi-Wan, for revenge. But then he's probably questioning, like, why are you here? Why are you just, like, wasting your life away on this desert planet? And then he realizes oh, wait, you're here for a reason. And he knows, maybe figures out that that reason is Luke. 
and he's strong in the forest, and we know how much Maul has been trying to get Ezra to become his apprentice. And if he realizes Luke is strong in the forest, and he sees this opportunity that I could use, take Luke, and he could become my apprentice, and that's where Obi Wan's like, "Okay, nope, you ain't getting out of here alive. This mm-hmm. is where I have to end you once and for all." And if it has that like story aspect to it, oh, it'd be so good. As much as I can't wait for the fight, I can't wait to hear their dialogue too. That's what I'm most excited about. Just as we're talking about callbacks and stuff with the last two episodes and Ghost of Geonosis, imagine the conversation that Maul and Obi-Wan are going to have right now <laughs> in that mm. moment of all their history, too. It's just so cool. And what I saw, I just remembering that, you know, when I first or after I saw episode one and Obi-Wan's fight with Maul, how awesome it was. And then you see A New Hope again and you see Obi-Wan talk to Luke or just even him in the cantina and maybe he's recalling that fight he had with Darth Maul, like one of his, was probably his first major fight <laughs> that he had, and he was victorious, and he took always took that with him. And now, knowing that just two years before A New Hope, he fought Darth Maul, it just adds new layers to Obi-Wan and mm-hmm. A New Hope. That just that recently he was dealing with Darth Maul. It's just so cool. And like I said, we knew it was coming. It's We were hoping for it, and we're getting it. And I just cannot wait for it. Can it top the Darth Vader Ahsoka fight? Right now, I'm going to say probably not because I think that moment is just so iconic, especially with Vader and the whole Vader and Anakin aspect of it. But this is going to come pretty darn close. (laughs) So I cannot wait for it. I think it's only obvious that it'll probably be the season finale. I'll be shocked if it's not because. Oh, yeah. How can you end on a bigger note than Obi-Wan and Darth Maul for this season? So, yeah, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. I mean, you talk about comparing it to the Vader and Ahsoka fight. Obviously, I think it's going to be less intense lightsaber action because, I mean, in that Vader and Ahsoka duel, Ahsoka was pretty much in her prime. I mean, you know, she's maybe, what, like 30 at that point or something? Like, you know, if the Jedi order had still been around and if she had never left, like she would have been a Jedi Knight. Like she's not a kid anymore, but she's not getting old like Obi-Wan and Vader and all these guys are. Yeah. Um, but then Darth Vader is still Darth Vader. And, you know, especially seeing what we saw in rogue one, we know like this dude is still a boss. Um, so obviously that was going to be, you know, an epic throwdown. Obi-Wan versus Maul. I'm interested to see how this plays out as far as like how the actual battle goes. Um, Because part of me, like, doesn't want to see Obi-Wan doing too much crazy awesome lightsaber stuff just because you you don't want to, like, have it be unbelievable that, okay, he went from this two years previous to A New Hope to, you know, what he does in A New Hope, which obviously, I mean, he still holds his own against Vader fairly well. It's just he's not being super agile and acrobatic or anything like that. Exactly. but at the same time, I mean, we have seen Maul hold his own pretty well with a lightsaber, like in uh, that season two finale also. So, you know, Obi-Wan's got to be able to keep up with him to that extent. But also, I want to see what new force tricks old Ben has been <laughs> learning in his solitude on Tatooine. And honestly, this might sound ridiculous, but you know how I want to see this fight end? Because also I'm thinking like, look, he already cut the dude in half. What's he going to do this time? Cut him in half vertically? Cut his head <laughs> off? So I'm thinking there's there's got to be some kind of different ending to this. And I hope it doesn't end like the Visionaries comic where Uncle Owen just like shoots him. 
Here's what I want to see. And and you can tell me if you can think this is outrageous or not, but this would just be like the ultimate fan service. I want to see Ben Kenobi use the desert environment to his advantage that Darth Maul is not as familiar with. And whether he sort of does something like Ezra where he actually connects through the Force to creatures around him or whether he just sort of lures Maul into a trap or something. I don't know how it would end or, or how he would get to this point. But I want to see him like trick Darth Maul into getting eaten by a crate dragon. Because <laughs> we've never hey. seen one of those before, but we know that's what Obi-Wan is supposed to be imitating in A New Hope. Exactly, yeah, that could so lead like, more towards that too. Yeah, and we know they're canon. We know we see... C-3PO walked past a giant skeleton of one, but we've never actually seen one before. I want to see Darth Maul get eaten by a crate dragon. Because <laughs> you know, there is no coming back from that. Like, once you come back from getting cut in half again, it's like, how do okay, how do we kill him and actually make it for real this time? Yeah, because that's what they're going to have to do, because you're in agreement with me that we think this is it for Maul. His story is ending. Oh, yeah. And oh, that for episode. sure. Yeah, Obi Wan like, is not going to let him walk away from this unless they come up with some really interesting and surprising story twist where the two of them like make nice. Yeah, <laughs> well, that would be a cop out in super way. <laughs> yeah, because oh, well, we, I think I've said it before, Darth Maul's story has to end at the hands of Obi Wan. I think, and that's what's going to happen here. But it, like you said, it has to be in a way that you know he's not coming back because the guy survived being chopped in half and falling down that <laughs> chasm there yeah. in Episode One. So. Your idea about the crate dragon is not so outlandish, I think, as you think. I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but it does make sense, I would think, from a way, like you said, to have him be fully dead and just add more stuff to the connective tissue stuff that we've been talking about this whole episode or things that lead into what we see in the movies. And maybe that's where Obi-Wan hears that crate dragon call for the first time that yeah. he made. So, yeah, I, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. Yeah, and then, you know, as... Because at you, first I was worried you're going to say the Sarlacc pit, but then I go, that's just going to add more speculation if he survives that. Right. Like, well, you know what? That was my that was kind of my first thought, and then I was like, no, else. I'm like, obviously, Sarlacc pit. A, we've seen it before. B, it takes a thousand years to digest somebody, and like most people don't believe that Boba Fett actually died in there. So let's not go with that. What else lives on Tatooine that could kill you? And I was immediately like, crate dragon. Let's go with that. <laughs> Yeah, that would be cool, actually. I'm liking it more now that I think about it. Yeah, and, and then... It could be done in a way, you know, where Obi-Wan gets the final blow on him, but on a, like maybe stabs him with the lightsaber too, but then the Krayt Dragons, they're kind of like the way Jurassic World ended. <laughs> where oh, man, that, yeah. The big water dinosaur comes out of nowhere and just takes the... I'm already forgetting the name of that Tyrannosaurus yeah. Rex. The, oh, the, yeah, the uh, Indominus Rex. There you go, yeah. <laughs> So something to that effect would be kind of cool, too. Just, mm -hmm. you know, that extra stamp, that Maul 8 coming back, almost to, like, Han in The Force Awakens. He gets stabbed, he falls down that uh, chasm, and then the planet blows up. <laughs> you know, he's not yeah. coming back from that. Something to that effect where you know Maul is going to be dead. Yeah. Well, I don't know about, like, dealing a finishing blow, but I could definitely see Obi-Wan, like, you know, wound him or something. Or maybe, yeah. you know, chop one of his mechanical legs off or something. But I, I just want to see... <laughs> because, again, I mean... You know, obviously he's not going to end this fight the same way he did with Vader or he wouldn't be in A New Hope. But, um, 
you know, I just think he has different priorities at this point in his life than just like winning a lightsaber duel through superiority. Um, And I could totally just see him being on the defensive, taunting Maul, just dragging the fight out and being like, look, I'm too old for this crap. I have no interest in fighting you. And the whole time he's just like distracting him and misleading him. And the whole time, maybe like luring him into a crate dragon's cave or something like that. And then like chop off his leg so he can't run away. And then just Obi-Wan calmly walking out of the cave as you hear the screams of Maul being devoured behind him. And he just looks over his shoulder and says, that's for Satine. <laughs> Boom. Hire me to write the episode. <laughs> I like it. The only thing it's going to be kind of, I'm sure, for diehard Darth Maul fans to see him go out being eaten by a great dragon falling out. So, you already <laughs> saw him come back from getting cut in half. What more do you want? <laughs> Not as far as a good way to go out, like once and for all, for the character. You uh, know? I mean, getting eaten by a dragon is a pretty awesome way to go. <laughs> I want my gravestone to read got cut in half, came back to life, and finally got eaten (laughs) by a dragon. That's true. He already, yeah, got, supposedly everyone thought he was killed by a lightsaber attack, so I guess. Yeah. Um, But you know, everyone makes a big deal about, or say Boba Fett went out like a punk being eaten by a Sarlacc pit. Well. By a blind man. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, that's not just because of the Sarlacc. That was because he didn't even lose a fight, necessarily. Han just happened to get lucky and whack him in the back with a stick. And, you know, I, I think that's more, at least to me, that's more the part of him yeah. going out like a punk is that Han just kind of hit him by accident and it made his jetpack misfire and he fell into the Sarlacc pit. Whereas with Maul, if it was, you know, intentional on Obi-Wan's part and, you know, Maul was, you know, putting up a good fight and thought he was winning, but he just got, you know, outwitted by the Jedi Master um, and then got eaten by a giant cool looking dragon like I, I would be okay with that. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more I think that would be pretty cool, actually. Yeah, yeah so uh, just can't wait to see it. <laughs> but at the same time, too, you got to be careful not to get so attached to that, that idea where it doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. We, we're Jedi. going to have to give where, you know, you know he's dead. So. Yeah, we're Jedi. We have no attachments. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Except me when I get attached to the stuff I see in trailers and then they don't become, in, they're not in the movies and I get disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you must train yourself to let go of everything that is in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Master Yoda, I can't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, there was a lot of awesome stuff in this Rebels trailer, but obviously, yeah, that, uh, that Maul and Obi-Wan fight it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, but I'm curious, too, how much of the finale is going to be that. Is it just going to be the end of the episode? We know that fight's probably going to be at the end, but will Obi-Wan have a presence throughout, or will he only show up at the end? And will he interact with the Ghost or at least Kanan and Ezra? That's going to be interesting to see, too, or unless they're off doing their own thing and we're just following Maul and Tatooine's going to be interesting to see how they work it all out and yeah, to make sure it makes know. sense with a, a new hope and all that with obi-wan interacting with other jedi yeah you know i'll have to i'll have to go back and look at the trailer again because um i didn't pause it but i i remember briefly seeing a shot like somewhere in the middle of the trailer of a ship flying toward tatooine because it's just i mean it's sort of like the horizon of the planet but you i'm pretty sure you can see two suns um 
over it. And but I don't remember if that was Maul's ship or the ghost. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not. So I'll have to go look at that because if it's the ghost, then I think we can safely assume that you know they will play into this story somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that should all be, uh, you know, very exciting to see. Uh, come well come the end of the season but you know lots of cool looking stuff uh for the rest of the season as well so exactly i can't wait for sabine's mandalore all right that looks really oh, cool. I think it's gonna, man. it's gonna be a two-parter too yeah i mean yep. it could be a four-parter for all i care i yeah. love me some mandalorians <laughs> um and hopefully that'll have a lot of you know callbacks to the clone wars as well talking about pre Vizsla and the dark saber and yeah. Maul, And maybe we'll even get a little more insight into the siege of Mandalore and you know, what happened oh. <laughs> um, on Mandalore after we last saw it at the end of season five. Yeah, Cause um, you know, Bo-Katan's supposed to show up cause Katie Sackhoff saying she recorded an episode mm-hmm. of the rebels. So it makes sense that it would be these ones if she is going to be in any of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So can't wait to see how that plays out as well. Um, or good Star Wars stuff in these next few months, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's so great being yeah. in this era. <laughs> <laughs> stuff to help pass the time till Episode Eight comes out. Exactly, I know. Uh, how good do we have it now? <laughs> we have it pretty darn good. Um, and then last uh, kind of big news item that just got announced today is that um, kind of transitioning back to the movies here, but uh, Woody Harrelson. Um, you know, it was just announced today that he has been cast uh, in an undisclosed role uh, for the Han Solo spinoff film. Um, although it's been rumored that he's going to play, you know, some sort of, you know, maybe older smuggler or something who's like a mentor uh, character to Han Solo. Um, so, you know, they're putting together a pretty good cast here now. We've got, you know, Alden Ehrenreich oh, yeah. and uh, Donald Glover and Amelia Clark and now Woody Harrelson. So, um, yeah, definitely... Uh, yeah, again, we still don't really know anything about the story of the movie. We don't know what character this guy is playing. Uh, but, um, you know, definitely some some well-known names and established talent and stuff like that. Um, so it'll be you know exciting to see uh, what they end up doing with this movie. I'm, you know, as I've said before, even though we really know nothing yet about this movie aside from, like, the main characters and, you know, now four of the actors that they've cast, like just the the direction that it seems like they're going with it just knowing the people involved and you know just the potential for some really fun stories and characters that they could have um i'm really excited for it same here yeah we keep saying this every time someone gets cast in the movies but just (laughs) gets better and better when they do make these announcements and it's funny that they're kind of going in the direction that star wars doesn't usually go when it comes to casting as far as unknowns and you know relatively young and upcoming actors this ones are getting pretty much well-known established actors i mean alden Ehrenreich, you kind of say still you know not super well known like like woody harris and obviously even donald glover and amelia clark so they're getting some uh, pretty well recognizable faces to be in this movie and you know it's it's nothing that i'm holding against it or i just find it kind of curious that, that they're just going in the kind of the opposite direction star wars films usually go when it comes to mm-hmm. casting for major roles but it's looking and sounding good. I mean, yeah, I could just totally see Woody Harrelson as being someone who's like the mentor to Han Solo was when he's first becoming a smuggler. So, yeah, we don't know what type of character it's going to be, but I'm excited to find out and to see how it plays into Han Solo's life. So that's what's so exciting about this movie to me. Just, it's early enough in Han Solo's life where he's young to, you know, 
see what makes him going to become the Han we all know and love in A New Hope, which is the point of this movie, which is what Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy keep saying when they talk about it. So and I just can't wait to dive into this part of Han's life and knowing what we're going to see with Chewie Lando and now what looks to be a mentor figure for him. So all that's mm-hmm. just going to add to the character once we see it. So I can't wait. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as far as what you're saying about the actors, um, I mean, I did notice that, too, that they're casting seemingly some more well-recognized actors for this movie in particular. But at the same time, um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's still kind of on the, the spectrum of, like, I mean, they're more well-known, obviously, than, like, John Boyega or Daisy Ridley were before they were cast in The Force Awakens, but they're still not, like, huge, big-name, like, Hollywood A-listers. I think when you think of people like, you know, Woody Harrelson and Amelia Clark, they're they're not, like, celebrities who are, you know, all over the tabloids and stuff. Like, they're just well-established actors. Mm. Um, and that's what I like. I mean, I, you know, and no offense to any of these guys, but I would never want to see a Star Wars movie with, like, you know, how, for them to cast someone like Brad Pitt or... Um, I don't know. Kristen. An actor with their names bigger than you know. Yeah, yeah, be. like someone that's more well known for like their red carpet performances than their movies, or you know George Clooney, or uh, you know people like that. Um, not that those guys aren't great actors because they're also known for you know their performances and for being in a lot of stuff. But it's just they're sort of these larger than life personalities, and. You know, sometimes it's hard to kind of separate that from their characters. Like you go see a, a movie with Brad Pitt in it and you're sitting there watching going, oh, wow, Brad Pitt's doing a really good job playing this character. Whereas, um, well, I guess for some of us who are huge Game of Thrones fans, we might see Amelia Clark and be like, oh, cool, it's Daenerys Targaryen in Star Wars. But, you know, she's not like as much of a universally recognized face that people are going to be distracted like, oh, it's just Amelia Clark in Star Wars. Like I think these guys that are just well known for their performances but they can still sort of blend into those roles um and donald glover especially because i don't think he's that big of a name either um and you know again not to to take anything away from him um you know i, I just he's not like a name or a face that you see or hear all the time um i'm sure he's going to be after he plays lando but um, yeah, all these actors <laughs> yeah for sure but then i mean i think that's part of it too is the fact that this movie is starring Han Solo, um, I think it makes a little bit more sense for them to go that direction with this movie where, you know, it's not like, I mean, Daisy Ridley was like the perfect choice to play Ray because her experience with being on a big budget Hollywood blockbuster is like the same experience that Ray has suddenly leaving Jakku and becoming part of the resistance and fighting Kylo Ren and discovering the force and all this stuff. It's this whole new experience for, you know, this girl who, you know, is living a, a relatively quiet existence. Whereas when you've got a movie where you're already recasting like iconic roles, like Han and Lando and stuff, I think it makes a little bit more sense to bring in more, uh, you know, seasoned veteran actors to to sort of portray these characters that we know already. Even though Alden Ehrenreich is also kind of a newcomer, um, but you know, even you know, surrounding him with with the rest of this cast, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think it just it doesn't feel to me like it's going to take away from it. No, yeah, 
don't feel that way at all either. Just, just some like I found curious when they we get these casting announcements like, oh, I actually recognize uh, this person. I yeah. know who it is. Unlike it has been for other like Star Wars movies in the past. Yeah, no, it'll definitely be exciting to see. Um, of course, I'm sure that'll probably happen more and more as they make more and more Star Wars movies. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, you know, you can't just cast unknowns for you know, everybody. Um, but yeah, definitely excited for this one as well. Excited for Han Solo, for Episode Eight, for Rebels, for all this awesome upcoming Star Wars stuff. Um, but I think we're just about ready to wrap up for now. Um, but Tim, I know you had a couple of uh, items from the social media front that you wanted to bring up. Yeah, we got some uh, Twitter responses from our massive long <laughs> Rogue One review episode. So I just want to give a few shout outs to those who responded to it. Uh, we got... One from Jay Bizzle who said, amazing job on the review podcast for Rogue One. Glad you loved it as much as me. And then he was nice enough to quote our tweet and just says, if you only listen to one extended look at the amazing Rogue One, this is it. So thank you, Jay Bizzle. Really appreciate that. And then Tom McClellan says he's catching up with the show and really enjoyed our latest, our latest episode. And then Kyle, something you said in our last episode, uh, got a response from Max Power, who says, hey, guys, the Star Destroyer actually has the same bridge in A New Hope as it does in Rogue One. And I know uh, you were saying that was like your only small little nitpick about <laughs> that Vader sequence. But you were telling me even before we started recording that you noticed it, too. So yeah. I think you could safely say you have no nitpicks with that scene now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, it was funny because um, I think... I saw, I, I caught that after, it was after the third time that I saw it, because I think when we recorded our episode, I think I had seen it twice, because um, it was on the second time that I caught that Vader's Star Destroyer had that bridge that I thought was not in any of the other movies, um, and then on my third time seeing it, I came home and watched A New Hope right afterwards, and yeah, I noticed right away on the, the opening scene um, with the Star Destroyer chasing the Tantive Four, I was like, oh, it does have that sort of double-decker bridge with the cross <laughs> in the middle. I had never really paid much attention to that. Um, but I remember when Star Wars Rebels was you know, in production and people... I, I guess I just remember people specifically pointing out, like, oh, it's cool they went back to the old, uh, you know, Macquarie concept designs of the Star Destroyer. And um, as maybe just that made me think that it hadn't actually been used in the movie or something, or it had just been a while since I watched a new hope and, and hadn't realized that that design was in there. So yeah, then I, I caught that afterwards. I was like, Oh, I'm surprised nobody called me out on that for, uh, you know, for nitpicking about that in the episode, but apparently somebody did. So I'm glad you caught that and corrected me on it as well. Um, and I'm happy to be wrong about that because now I'm glad that there isn't a continuity issue. Exactly. You just bask in the glory of that scene now without having anything <laughs> nitpicking at you. Oh, back yeah. red. <laughs> and then also we got a comment from Michael Lucero who says, uh, from Catalyst, I got the impression that Death Star was mostly done. It's just the weapon they needed Ursul for. So my problem is with the exhaust port thing. Seems like Ursul's return to the project would be too late to add that in. And this is something I actually never thought of when watching Rogue One, I just thought, yeah, it's good. They're finally giving it a reasoning behind that flaw in the Death Star. But that does kind of make sense. And I kind of was thinking, well, he did. He was there a few years. I mean, was it small enough that he could have had the engineers redesign a small portion of it, like during his time, telling them that it was crucial to have that there? I think it's probably possible. But now I'm trying to, I believe it was Pablo Hidalgo who said this in a tweet where, it's kind of where the exhaust port was always there, but Galen made it where it became a flaw, where he 
triggered it where if that was exposed and the if the reactor that's what would cause the chain reaction he kind of saw what was there already and took it and made it into a flaw so i believe that's the efficient reasoning for it but i don't have it exactly word for word but i don't know if you ever thought about that kyle if that was something that you noticed or became a nitpick at all as far as you know urso or galen urso having enough time to put that in the small exhaust port i didn't really think about it. i have the catalyst book now but i still haven't read it yet so i hadn't really put a whole lot of thought into like the whole timeline of the Death Star construction and Galen Erso coming back and everything. Although I, I did, I mean, I guess just through the movie itself, but also through the visual guide, I mean, I realized that, yeah, the main reason they brought him back was um, for solving the issue of the super laser and the kyber crystals and all that kind of stuff. Um, but still, I mean, eh, I don't know. I, I guess I would have to read Catalyst to comment on that more. Um, cause I don't know, like if they had actually constructed the whole rest of the battle station yet, or maybe it was just that, you know, they had all the other designs in place. Like they maybe hadn't physically built everything yet, but they knew that everything else would work. And just the one thing that they still had to figure out as far as, you know, scientifically, or, you know, just from a problem solving standpoint, they, they couldn't build the laser yet because they didn't know how to make it work. Um, or you know, another explanation could just be that, um, I mean, I know normally you need exhaust for, for engines and propulsion and that sort of thing, but I don't know, maybe the giant planet killing super laser needed to vent some heat out of somewhere and he needed the exhaust port for that. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, I do kind of like it where it still explained why that exhaust port and while it was a flaw, regardless of when and how it was put in there, it was all because of Galen. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, they easily could have put an exhaust port that didn't lead right to the main reactor. Exactly, yeah, but he made it where it had to. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last response we got was from Eric at London's Dark, and this one is on me. <laughs> where, <laughs> hey, he put a, the tweet where he goes, like, he had a GIF or a taunt solo looking confused Wait. when... You say GIF? GIF, GIF, whatever. I know (laughs) there is an official way, but I still go back and forth on it. (laughs) Maybe I should get more familiar with saying GIF instead of GIF, but whatever. But he said the one where Hansel was looking confused when Leia tells him that she's Luke's brother, and he's like, the reaction I had and Kyle had, and I'm sure every listener, when Tim says he liked Attack of the Clones more than Return of the Jedi. (laughs) And so I guess I got some explaining to do more about that comment i made on our previous episode which i still stand by but yeah i mean i guess if we wanted to we can do an episode where we compare like acts or scenes by scenes <laughs> which one or why i think it's better but i just get more enjoyment from attack of the clones than i do return of the jedi not to say that i i mean i don't want it to make it sound like i don't like return of the jedi like you said earlier we love every star wars movie so there's some we enjoy more than others and return of the jedi has some of the best moments of the whole saga like i said the moments with darth vader and luke and him killing palpatine's one of the greatest moments ever in star wars and that'll never change but just as a movie as a whole there's just stuff i i enjoy more when i watch attack of the clones the stuff with the clones and on camino all that's awesome seeing the origins of one of my favorite aspects of star wars which are the clone troopers seeing where it all became from is in attack of the clones is great and Django fett being the host of that i love that 
having the history tied to Boba Fett. Boba Fett being a clone, which are characters we know are really great characters seen in the Clone Wars. I know that Boba Fett is one of them now. I love that added history to him, which makes me like the character of Boba Fett more. And just even the whole mystery aspect at the beginning of the assassination of uh, Padme and Obi-Wan and Anakin are trying to you know figure out who's doing it. And they go on the chase and the nightclub scene I really like. And of course, the big thing that everyone gets on Attack of the Clones is the romantic stuff with Anakin and Padme. Yeah, dialogue's bad. Some of the acting's bad. But I don't think... Even, the one scene that actually doesn't bother me is the Meadow Picnic scene. I actually think that's probably the best scene between them. We get a little sense of Anakin's view on politics and how we think those... they like were, I forget the exact line, but he says they should be made to, I guess, agree on things. Mm-hmm. Just getting that little hints of Vader in him and even Padme calls him out where it sounds like a dictatorship. So... Even that moment, I think, is pretty good amidst the rest of the scene, which I can understand people's complaints on it, but that doesn't kill the movie for me because it's just a small portion of it where the stuff I like about it outweighs those moments in there. And the last battles on Geonosis, right when they hit Geonosis, all of that is just awesome from the arena battle, when the clones arrived, to the ground battle we got, the lightsaber duels with Yoda and Dooku. I just love all that stuff. And for me, with Jedi, like, once they hit Endor, it's not going to say I don't like it, but it's just not one of my favorite aspects of Star Wars when they go on Endor. Once after the speeder bike and they're in the Ewok village and Leia meets Wicked, it's just, you know, not some of my favorite parts of Star Wars. And the final battle on Endor, I mean, I <laughs> can go on a whole other tangent about <laughs> part of the Empire losing to the Ewoks, but it's just not one of my favorite battles. And the, I, I'd rather, this is how it all played out. I mean, the space battle is great. Like I said, the Luke and Vader stuff is great. But then whenever it gets to the Endor battle, it's like, I'm not going to say I forward it. I still watch it and do get some enjoyment from it. It's just not my favorite. Not as much enjoyment as it gets Attack of the Clones. So that's the short end version of why I think Attack of the Clones. I, see, I'll say enjoyment. Maybe as far as a better movie, that's debatable. Return of the Jedi probably is better. But I enjoy Attack of the Clones more than Return of the Jedi, which is why I probably rank it uh just above it on my rankings list of star wars which is still you know incomplete and always in flux but (laughs) that's why i put attack the clones above return of the jedi so like i said maybe we can go into an (laughs) in-depth reasoning comparison uh for a future episode or something and you know debate and disagree on (laughs) the reasons why but yeah that's why i just every time i pop in attack the clones i just find myself enjoying it as much as I did when I first saw it, and I just feel it's the most underrated Star Wars movie, even despite the obvious problems it has with the Anakin Padme stuff. So, I don't know. I know I'm going to be in the more minority in that, but I just can't help but feel that way <laughs> when I watch it, and I'll be glad to defend it whenever I need to. Admit it, Tim. You're just hating on Return of the Jedi because of the opening Jabba's Palace scene. You don't like sand because it's <laughs> and rough and irritating and gets everywhere. Um, uh, no, I, I, I gotta mean, say, that was great to hear Sabine say that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I, I would say for the most part, you make all valid points there, um, except... I don't really have a problem with the Battle of Endor, um, but I'm not as much of an Imperial Trooper lover guy as you are. Um, I love watching Chewie hijack a chicken walker and start wrecking the Imperials, and I pretty much give the credit to the Rebels winning that battle to him. Um, because as as much as the, uh, the Ewoks somehow were managing to shoot through Imperial armor with, like, rocks and sticks, um, they still weren't 
doing a whole lot against those walkers. I mean, they did, you know, they, they smashed the one with the logs and had the other one that they tripped with the rolling logs, but... It's, it's more damage we saw to the walkers than what the walkers did to the Ewoks. <laughs> eh, the walkers were taking out a lot of Ewoks, though. You didn't see too much. You saw it shoot one when they're trying to run away, and then, of course, the one Ewok that actually died in the battle. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even know if that was all from an ATSD blast, but... Yeah, well, it looked like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it looked like it. We could assume it is, but still. Anyway, yeah, I mean, you... that's that's probably the biggest point that I, I disagree on, but I also think the there's just more in Attack of the Clones that drags it down for me. It definitely has its great moments, just like all the Star Wars movies do. Um... But yeah, just the, and you know what? I'll give you this too. That Anakin Padme scene, actually the one that you specifically mentioned is not a bad one. I do like that scene where, you know, it's kind of this nice lighthearted, you know, romantic moment with underpinnings of, hey, you're cute. I'm the future Darth Vader. And, you know, they just <laughs> kind of laugh it off. Like, again, it's that juxtaposition of like, oh, it's a nice moment, but we still see what he's going to become. And I like that kind of foreshadowing. Um, but yeah, just some of the, the performances and also, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, but when you watch Attack of the Clones on Blu-ray, it really kind of brings into, it brings to light some of the, um, I don't know, the, the unpolishedness, I guess you could say of the, the CGI and green screen and all the special effects from, you know, the early days of that kind of technology, um, you know, I, I Some heard shots. Yeah, I think you can, but I yeah. think overall as a whole, I think it holds up still really well. Still. Dexter Jetster looks terrible. Um, <laughs> terrible is a little strong. <laughs> he looks pretty bad, especially when you compare it to like episode three that came out three years later. I have no problems with any of the, the CGI stuff in, in episode three, but in episode two, like there's just CGI characters that don't look that great. There's shots that are obviously green screened. And part of this is probably me as a video guy. Uh, you know, where I I'm have more of a trained eye for some of this sort of thing. But if you just look at, like, the edges around some of the characters as they're walking against CGI environments, you know, there, there's the scene where Obi-Wan and Mace and Yoda are, like, walking through the Jedi Temple, and you see, like, edges of their robes, like, disappearing and reappearing as they're moving and stuff. It's just, you know, not terrible, but very unpolished and i never noticed it before watching it on the dvd and people would talk about like oh the the bad cgi and the over-reliance on cgi and green screen and blah 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 and i was like i never really had a problem with it and then i watched it on blu-ray for the first time i was like oh that's what they were talking about <laughs> um yeah see, i haven't picked up on that in that scene with obi-wan maze and the yoda yeah, but also, and, and you know, I also will agree with you. I do feel like Return of the Jedi hits a lull when they hit Endor. Um, even the speeder ride chase for me, I mean, I like it and it's still exciting, but having like watched it so many times, I'm like, eh, it's kind of been like outdone by the pod race in terms of just like as far as chase scenes go. Um, you know, so like I like it, but it's not my favorite. And then the rest of the stuff on Endor, you know, not super exciting, but the movie, like I love the first half of the movie. You know, everything up to, you know, the Alliance meeting and then the, you know, shuttle Tidarium landing on Endor. And I, I love all of that. And then so it's like the first two quarters of the movie are good. The third quarter of the movie is kind of eh, so-so. Um, but then immediately, like starting from when Luke meets with Vader on the platform, when he turns himself in to be captured from there through the rest of the movie, I think is some of the best stuff in yeah. the entire saga. Um 
and again, I'm, you know, I, I can understand where you're coming from with your, your problems with the, the ground battle, but I, you know, it just doesn't bug me as much. It's not my favorite battle to be sure. I mean, you know, Battle of Hoth is better. Battle of Geonosis is better. Um, and I'd say Battle of Scarif is probably better too. Um, but I still like it a lot. And then the space battle for the Battle of Endor is still easily best space battle in Star Wars. And the lightsaber duel between Luke and Vader um, on the Death Star. And just, I mean, I love Palpatine too. Like Ian McDermott is just like the perfect evil mastermind with the cackling laugh and the force lightning and all of that. So anytime he's on screen in Return of the Jedi, I'm instantly hooked. Um, and then just the, the family drama between Luke and Vader and Vader's redemption and the climactic battle and all that. I mean, obviously it's not the, the most, you know, fancy or flashy, like choreographed lightsaber fight, but it's good enough that the action combined with the, you know, the, the dramatic intensity and the story weight obviously is, you know, what makes that possibly like my favorite lightsaber duel and also, you know, story moment in all of Star Wars. Um, certainly up there is one of my favorites. So that's the case for Return of the Jedi. Um, I, I feel like that one for me has the I feel like Return of the Jedi has, it's still kind of up and down sometimes. I feel like Empire Strikes Back is consistently the best Star Wars movie all the way through. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Return of the Jedi has, you know, obviously a couple moments that are where it's less good than Empire and than some of the other Star Wars movies as well. But then I feel like at its high points, it's can't be beat. So um, that's why I would say like, objectively I would say the Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie but right now I think I would say Return of the Jedi is my personal favorite um and yeah I don't know maybe we can debate that further on some future episode where we've got no news to talk about but um you know I think for now we've made our points and yep, but gone it's up pretty to long the listeners with this episode, to see so. who they agree with more I did get uh one support and I <laughs> <laughs> was it like a totally because for the most part, it's not like uh, it was kind of be outnumbered <laughs> where uh, the response was going to be like, is Tim just crazy? How can he say that <laughs> with, all, with all that? But I was glad I was able to have uh, one person offer me support. And it was Obi, Obi-Wan Mike, I believe, was his uh, Twitter handle on there. So thank you, Mike, for being on my side. Yeah, but then, you know, and Eric, thank you for, for bringing this up in the first place, too, because... Um, that gif was perfect. And, <laughs> it was. And you know what? This was, I mean, the day he started this whole chain, because then a bunch of people chimed in on it, and we all shared some more gifs and pictures and stuff, and Eric posted another gif of C-3PO getting his head put on a battle droid, and he says, I'm so confused. Um, And then I, uh, you know, posted a picture of Padme with the caption where she's like, you're going down a path I can't follow. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah. we, we had some fun, you know, trading jabs with Tim over that. But also, I, as I realized just from scrolling back through our Twitter notifications and seeing, you know, when we were talking about all this, this was the day after Carrie Fisher passed away. And so it was, you know, kind of nice to just uh, be able to have you know, some, some, uh, levity to the situation, I guess, um, to, you know, kind of take our minds off the sadness of that and be able to, uh, 
you know, just have some fun throwing jokes around. So that was uh, unintentionally, you know, a, a much needed reprieve. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it was just, even despite, uh, you know, the different opinions we have on the movies, it's just great fun to talk about and debate it with uh, those uh, listeners on Twitter and all that. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know what? At the end of the day, we can all have our differing opinions because we all love Star Wars and, you know, love or at least like all of the movies anyway. So, you know, as long as nobody's trash talking and being like, oh, you know, you like Attack of the Clones, the prequels suck. George George Lucas screwed over my childhood and (laughs) Jar Jar Binks is the devil and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, we ain't got time for that. But if you ever want to have just a friendly discussion about what movie is better or, you know, why we like or don't like certain things, we will always be up for engaging in that. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think with that, we are just about ready to sign off. So. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you had, uh, you know, an enjoyable holiday season and happy new year. Uh, looking forward to a great 2017 full of lots more exciting Star Wars stuff. Um, so as always, you can check us out online at our website, uh, starwarstsc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC, uh, or, uh, just look up Star Wars. The saga continues on Facebook and you can find our Facebook page there. Um, if you want to send us questions comments uh rogue one reviews episode eight speculations uh cases for or against uh attack of the clones being better than return of the jedi uh you know any of that kind of stuff uh, you can go ahead and send us emails at star wars tsc at gmail.com um you know feel free to you know, send us any kind of star wars thoughts we love you know engaging with you guys and uh you know just having a great time talking about the saga so um yeah i think that's gonna do it thank you guys for tuning in we will see you next time and may the force be with you see you next time everybody